passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When Ryan when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting the 18. That makes sense that these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Wade take the mic. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Rewind to Raw and Way. I think that tonight is going to be the greatest rewind to Raw ever. Oh Jesus! All right, no thank you, thank you, Charlie. That was weird. At the very end, you know, a hundred percent that's going to be the tagline of the pay per view of this match. This is going to be the risk is worth the reward that we're going to hear for the next week's Edge Orton, the greatest match ever. That's a really big claim, and that's, that's... an enormous claim, and not exactly. Um, <laughs> Starting, I mean, it may certainly be the greatest improvement match to match because I do think these two will have a great match, but they're starting at such a low expectation level after WrestleMania that, I mean, in comparison, it may be the greatest disparity between matches. That is possible. The greatest disparity between matches. I think that's the way greatest better. improved match. Could they maybe say that? Um, yeah, to see that on a poster. Sure, it would be more truthful, at least. Um, what what a claim, though! Like, what a what a ballsy tagline, and the pressure to go into like you can go out and like say, "I'm gonna have the greatest basketball game of all time," and you could score seventy points. It'll be like, okay, that's really really good under normal circumstances. But is it the greatest ever? I mean, it's just well, uh, I I feel bad for Edge and Orton. I mean, you know, talk about the expectations that are set. You guys uh, are supposed to have the greatest match of all time. It's um, there's no way you can leave that with with a with a without critiquing that thing. I mean, they all stayed stoic when that line was said in the ring. I mean, I give credit to all three of them. That the, I mean, Charlie, I mean, just had this like like look on her face afterwards, like um, you know she was holding it together. But that was that was quite the proclamation. We will see. They have five weeks. Well, I look forward to it. I look forward to dissecting that whole segment with you later on in this program. But there's a lot to get to. We're going to spare no uh, time and get into tonight's news. So earlier today, we um, there's a report out from uh, Ryan Satin had it first that Becky Lynch was going to have a big announcement on the show. And this was um, the start of Raw with Becky announcing uh, that her and fiance Seth Rollins are going to be having a baby and they subsequently released an interview on People Magazine uh, right after the announcement. So this was uh, very coordinated and noted that they found out after a series of pregnancy tests in April that she's expecting. And this led to Becky announcing that the 
new Raw Women's Champion is Asuka, which was determined last night when Asuka won the briefcase. And then Asuka in the opening segment comes out, opens the briefcase, and there is the Raw Women's title. So Asuka is your new champion, which I guess in this sense they figured is the easiest transition to do. And Becky is going to be gone for quite a while. The People Magazine article also stated that um, they're expecting in December. So, yeah, the timeline would make sense. Uh, yeah, it would also explain why they didn't have any plans for Becky, for Money in the Bank. Um, it's it's certainly, I would say, news that I don't... I mean, 2020 has already been crazy enough with enough, you know. Um, I would say... To, like, Remember when you and I, John, thought that this whole period would be like lacking in news somehow? Every single week. Remember that week when we thought that? <laughs> Every single week, it's been like a huge shift, something big and monumental. I mean, on a, on a regular year, I think this news itself would be the top story. But this, I mean, you know, it pretty much would be like a top 10 story this year. But yeah, Becky but this Lynch, is really good news. This is good huge, news. I mean, this yes. isn't, uh, yeah. Absolutely. So, I mean, con- congratulations to, to both of them. Did you, mm. maybe we'll get into a, a, a bit more, but it was... Very awkward that, you know, you had Seth Rollins in this new character tonight, of all things. And by the end of it, I didn't know if it was just really awkward having him in this new character or if that actually worked in a weird way for this crazed character that everyone knows is the fiance. And, I mean, not shying away from that fact either on the program, acknowledging this this fact as well. It wasn't one of those where we're just... Becky is pregnant, but we're not going to allude to Seth Rollins being her fiance. They did. Um, but it, it was just, it, it was definitely, to me, a little awkward having this character while this huge news is being announced at the start of the show, which was just a completely different tone. Well, if they wanted to change Seth Rollins back to Babyface, you know, just <laughs> completely drop, dropping that, that cult character, they certainly paved the way for it on the pay per view last night. And tonight it's and went a totally different direction tonight. Like I don't know why that handshake occurred, to be honest. Yeah, so I I would suggest that you know the fact that they didn't just you know revert Seth back to being a babyface suggests that they have some sort of redemption story to tell with the guy. Um, it'll probably be a bit of a longer one than maybe you and I had expected, but mm-hmm. I I I do feel like they wouldn't just you know bring up the association between her, her him being you know a, a new father. While just without he's without nervous, a, <laughs> yeah, he's so nervous. He's just decided to you know um, stab people's eyes with uh, steel steps. Uh, that did that happen for you when you're about to be? A, I mean, a father? there was that there was that one day when you were uh, you were checking on our audio equipment, and I was standing behind you, and I thought for a second, uh, you know what, this is this is the time. You poofed out your hair for some reason. It was strange. I didn't. I didn't comb my hair at all. I yeah. just held on to some some ropes. You know, re- realistically, this is to me the character AJ Styles should have been in his reintroduction. Absolutely, this dark. This dark, maniacal heel and AJ going after Ray. I think that this would have been AJ's reintroduction uh, as opposed to Seth. I think that would have been more of a because th- this was very abrupt for Seth from what, like, granted, you had the title loss, but nothing compared to AJ. Instead, we had AJ show up with, like, pretty immaculate, perfect, silky hair, as he usually ha- happens to have. Uh, but obviously, you know, the big the, the big repercussions of, of this are WWE losing one of its biggest stars. 
Um, what effect do you think that'll have on the women's division, but just really the company in general? Well, I, I would imagine that Becky is still very much going to be attached to WWE and be one of their, you know, regular people that's, that's going to be out there. And I still think having somewhat of a presence around WWE, but I mean, in terms of being an active performer, I mean, it's, you know, that's like, there's not going to be any timetable, like it could be, you know, two years minimum before we, we see Becky again, if she comes back. I mean, it's all, there's no way you can um, even guess what the, the future of hers will be. But I, like, this is at a time when Becky, it seemed like, was certainly, the, the inroads were occurring out into Hollywood as well. Um, that you have to wonder that even if this did not occur, what was Becky looking at a, a reduced schedule? Was she looking at more acting roles and such that this may have been something that even before uh, this news was known by WWE that maybe they were bracing for. The acting rumors, the timing of the acting rumors, I mean, in hindsight now, are, are pretty interesting. Um, I mean, surely everything was must have been in the works way before uh, something like this might have even happened. But, you know, like, you tell me, John, like, would it be unthinkable for her to take on an acting role in these months that are coming up before, you know, um, well, uh, what is it? How many, how far along is she then, if it's April? March, April. Well, well, three they're due in December, so it would have been uh, like, you know, this. She's probably what, like six, seven weeks pregnant would probably be the the rough estimate. There's like many, many women like work throughout their entire pregnancy. Like my, my wife worked up until the week before she had our, our child. So I mean, she's in a very unique industry that obviously she cannot be uh, doing her 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 job right now. Um, which is probably difficult. It's like she can, you know, do many, many, many things, but is not going to be doing her active job during during this whole uh, pregnancy. So, I mean, she could certainly keep busy with, with other projects if they come her way. Um, acting, uh, certainly, uh, I don't think you would necessarily want to be doing anything that would be, you know, stunt work or anything like that, obviously. But in terms of just doing an acting role, like what she just did on Billions, um you know, I'm sure she has has received lots of offers and has just not had the ability to take those roles because of her commitments to WWE. That um, the, the other part to all of that is uh, there's no productions going on now either. Right. So yes. that that's not even going to be an option probably for quite a number of months until we see studios up and running. And, and by that point, uh, probably won't be looking in, in that direction. But um, yeah, it's, you know, she, this is like, you know, very, very early days for her pregnancy. And she will likely just, I, I don't know if WWE will keep her busy with, with other, other things or just, she's just going to be at home. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, she certainly creates a big void on raw and really the entire company right now. And do you think this particular announcement would have anything to do with the other big news that came out today? Um, well, we, we got the, the announcement on Raw um, that we had reported earlier in the day that they are introducing brand-to-brand -brand invitations. And I, I can't say if the, the Becky news had anything to do with this. I would certainly look at probably uh, – I had heard from one source that this was an idea that came at the request of the network. So that would tell me that probably the the television viewership, it was, it was time to try something. And perhaps this was um, the first – major idea that they had now the way it was conveyed to me is that they 
they don't want this to be the wild card like last year where we just had numerous people coming over every single week and it was a blur and you pretty much had just um, suspended the entire um, brand split at that point. Uh, the way it was told to me is that they want this to be limited. Um, I wasn't told like an exact like like number, but they want to keep it, you know, limited. So that to me could be the plan today. If this is a success and television viewership goes up, then I mean, all bets will be off at that point. If they find a plan that works, history tends to say that they will use it until it's no longer effective. And we could, you, you also have the advantage of like this taping schedule where you're either taping Raw and SmackDown on the same day, like they were today and tomorrow, or it's one day apart. So it's not this, the same case of someone working on Raw Monday that has to then go to another city on Friday to appear on SmackDown. It is a little bit easier to have that cross-pollination. But in your sense way, do you, do you think that this is going to mitigate any of that audience loss and not even so much ad viewership, but at least stop the bleeding that we've seen? Well, I think if the first round of this brand to brand, um, what are they calling it? Invitations. If the first round of this of this brand to brand invitation is any sort of indicator of, I think, how significant uh, of an event something like that would be, I personally don't think it'll make any difference. Um a Drew McIntyre Baron Corbin match, I can't anticipate attracting any more eyeballs. Yeah, it, it, it's not like they're starting off with like a big dream match um, that you know would would pull people in from the get go. Um, and that's another thing is it, it those kind of dream match scenarios, which you would hope this brand split. The whole point of this would be that you could create those matches where people have been apart or ha have never uh, wrestled before. But I, I look at this like there there aren't a plethora of, of those matches. Like maybe, you know, Daniel Bryan coming over to face Drew McIntyre. I'm sure it'd be a good match. I don't know if it would be one that people are are clamoring over. But that is, you know, the, the to me kind of like your your high end level of, you know, dream match scenarios as well of a somewhat limited roster that you have to work with at the, at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, a dream match is only a dream match. I think with the appropriate amount of promotion and telling people that, Hey, this is a match that you really want to see. Um, it, you know, will these be sort of one-off events that like we saw this week where you had one week's worth of promotion? Uh, or are they going to be something a bit more substantial that we might typically see reserved for a pay-per-view? Um, at this point, anything is really worth a shot. So I don't anticipate Baron Corbin making much significant change at all, if any. But uh, in the future, it does pave the way for perhaps, you know, things that are, are going to be a bit more attractive. But in, in, in the short term, I, I think everything is worth trying, but I don't see it making that big of a difference. Yes. Well, we've already learned one thing about the brand-to-brand -brand invitations. Uh, it had the ability to crash our website. That's right. Yeah, a lot of people uh, checking out John's story and and uh, shut the website down. So, uh, a lot of interest. And what was the second part of the story? Oh, that's right. So the other thing is that uh, this week uh, they're going to be uh, providing some kind of uh, update on the Intercontinental Title, which Sami Zayn holds. We haven't seen Sami Zayn since WrestleMania, so I, I guess they're they're looking at just doing something with the 
intercontinental title. I, I don't know what the exact plan is, only that they'd be uh, addressing that this week. Do you expect to see Sami Zayn, or is this part of the whole problem? I would imagine that that's uh, part of the problem. I would, you know, j- just my guess would be probably taking the title. It's it's if Sami Zayn isn't available, using the title for uh, wh- whatever they have planned. That would be my assumption, but I, I wasn't told that directly. Right. Okay. So yeah, that those look to be the uh, the those two news items. Um, we talked a bit about this on Sunday, and some more details have come out. And I will give people a warning: these are very very graphic details involving this uh, Alberto Del Rio story. Uh, he was arrested on Saturday for those that are not familiar with, with the story. And he is facing uh, a, ch- a sexual assault charge. And uh, the NBC affiliate in San Antonio had uh, gotten the, the details. Um, an unnamed woman had uh, made these claims that she had been uh, attacked by Del Rio and sexually assaulted, stating that it took place over several hours uh back on May the 3rd at around 10 p.m. and lasted until around 2.30 p.m. Uh, TMZ also got uh, some more store, uh, some more uh, details uh, about this. And the woman is accusing Del Rio of attacking her, causing multiple injuries, and then placing a sock in her mouth and repeatedly sexually assaulting her. And uh, she is adamant that this was not consensual and... Uh, it ended up with her uh, going the, to the police. He was arrested on Saturday and bond was placed at $50,000. And this is just, it's a horrifying series of details that are alleged here way. It's just, um, it just makes your stomach turn reading this account. Yeah. Incredibly difficult to read. Um, and I just really hope that like the appropriate amount of justice is served. And if it, if this stuff is true, I, I, I really wouldn't want to see this guy I, in public, honestly, much less, you know, it, it be, be involved in any sort of combat sports relationship. What does he currently have going on? I mean, he had the figurehead position with uh, Combate Americas, and I have not seen anything on, on their behalf uh, since his story broke. And, I mean, he fought for them back in December with the Tito Ortiz fight where he was submitted. Um, but, you know, he just did some sporadic wrestling um you know, not with any major companies. He was he was working with that that NLL group that was uh that was running and d- did a match back in in a uh, overseas back in February. But I mean, the wrestling had kind of taken a a back burner. But he he was still active last year and a little bit earlier this year. Um, but this is yeah. Um, we we will see what what the latest is and and what the um the the follow up will be when when he is in court and uh you know, facing uh, this, this charge. And it's a, uh, yeah, just, just horrifying story to be reading about uh, sports business journals. Uh, John Oran put out uh, a tweet on Monday evening uh, that his sources, and I would imagine he has um, many at ESPN said uh, those he spoke with at ESPN plus indicating that Saturday's pay-per-view uh, did in the neighborhood of 700,000 buys, which is an incredible figure when you consider the fact that this is, uh, a service with 7.9 million subscribers. And this, on traditional pay-per-view, this card, I, I would never have seen doing 700,000 buys. Like, it it was a very loaded card, but very much geared at fight fans. And, I mean, wait, hearing that number, do you feel that it was 
um, the car? Do you feel it was the set of circumstances? Uh, because this would lead me to believe that the theory that people were very starved for live sports would certainly have some credence um, going out and spending money. Because this, it's not just the pay-per-view. You're also signing up for ESPN Plus um, in the U.S. Yeah, certainly I would chalk it up to being a bit of both. Um, uh, that's a huge number. It really is is pretty remarkable. Um, do you feel like like a number like this is indicative of just the technology? Like, because it certainly probably wouldn't have been possible prior to it. Well, they they did do a, a number bigger back in January, but that was the Conor McGregor Donald Cerrone fight. Which you know this this card to me did not have that that level uh, behind it, but obviously this was um, certainly indicative that you can do exceptional numbers on ESPN Plus that I wouldn't have been so confident of a year ago. But here we are; they've got you know a fraction of what your traditional pay per view uh, universe was before ESPN Plus. But to me, a card like this that can do that level of, of numbers. Um, that would make me very aggressive if I was UFC and they have to be um, just doing cartwheels if they're ESPN that, you know, are just starved for content. And here they not only got um, hours of content on Saturday, but people spending money in, in this volume for UFC 249. Like that's just a blow away number for me, way, way above what I would have anticipated because I, I assume that the television number, which we'll get on Tuesday would be through the roof, but the pay-per-view number to me, that was more of a gamble. I, I didn't really know where, where it would land or even if the number would come out, which when a number is high, uh, people I, I think tend to be much more revealing when it, when a number is great. So the risk was worth the reward. Oh man, boy, you were waiting for that one. Uh, very well done. Well, uh, final news item here is that it's an interesting scenario on Wednesday night because the UFC Fight Night card, it's going to be the entire thing will be on ESPN Plus in the US. So it's not going to be a case of going against NXT and AEW on US television. However, up here in Canada, we don't get NXT on television, but we do have AEW and TSN will be airing both UFC and AEW on their respective um, feeds. We've got UFC that will be airing on TSN 1, 3, and 4, and AEW will be on TSN 2. So I found that kind of interesting, the fact that we'll have AEW versus UFC, but it's on the same network. Yeah, the the other Wednesday Night Wars. Yeah, this is the Wednesday Night War that uh, Canada will have, which typically we don't get because NXT doesn't air on television here until Friday nights in Canada. How much buzz do you see for this card for the UFC on Wednesday? Uh, I like today, none to me. It was all the fallout from two forty nine, And I mean, the weigh-ins are tomorrow for this card. I just feel it's, it's way too quick that I don't think most people are, are processing that a fight card is coming up. But I mean, given the, the appetite that was there on Saturday, I, I certainly don't dismiss that there will be an audience for this show on on Wednesday night. Um, it, it's just we won't – this is not a card where you have to buy. So I, I don't know if we'll get any kind of streaming numbers out of ESPN+. Plus. But uh, if we find out the Canadian number, that might be interesting as well. I I, I do think like you're running the risk of you know some kind of uh, – tune out factor of you just watched this UFC card Saturday. There's another one this Saturday. Uh, this, this one sandwiched in the middle of the week. Maybe that one is the one that will do the lowest of the three, but we'll see. 
I'm I'm certainly at least a little curious looking at these numbers to see how much crossover there might be between a UFC fan and an AEW fan within Canada. Yeah, I mean it's um it's an interesting question of and being that much more accessible in Canada like just being on television as opposed to a, a streaming service if you know people are you know flipping back and forth or if you're finding people um that again like you do have the advantage that there's very few sports there's no sports going on which what am i saying so um that's the interesting test for wednesday night and ufc also uh, ariel hawani reported this on sunday they were reaching out to fighters on these cards and their representatives asking them ahead of time uh, if they've had any symptoms or if they have come into contact with anyone. So while I didn't expect the UFC to come out and say, like, we kind of, you know, bungled the whole Jacques Array thing, it does seem way that they did learn from that mistake and are actively trying to find out before people arrive as opposed to uh, with Jacques Array. And I would, I would venture to guess that if there was a repeat situation where somebody arrives there in Jacksonville this week stating that they've had any contact – I do feel they would remove that person from the card immediately and not go through that 48-hour waiting period for a test result. Yeah, certainly. I think the omission of even a match like that makes no difference. You know, we could we could see. I mean, if it was a main event, maybe it would be somewhat different. But even then, it's. I don't think it's really worth the PR nightmare that's possible that they, you know, by by this point, I would say they largely managed to avoid even like you know getting into a scenario like this. But it could have been a lot worse. You know, had those tests come come back afterwards, uh, just even a day later. So they well, it's it's still not. I, I wouldn't say it's like completely out of the woods yet. I think that there's still, you know, there there is still that that time frame of you know re- mm-hmm. finding out like all that these fighters and people associated that everything is 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 fine. Like we're under the impression that it, this was limited to Jacare and his two cornermen. But I mean, there's. You know, it's it. I, I don't think you can like just put a bow on this and say everything went fine Saturday because there's still. I'd say you'd have to wait another week or so. Even if there were positive cases, John, coming out of this, and let's hope not. But if even if there were, do you think it jeopardizes the next UFC event at all? I I don't. I think it would have to be a case where there was a significant outbreak of multiple people, and I think extending to people like on the staff that are there from show to show. Um, saving that, I feel like they are going to go with every opportunity to continue. And it would seem if the Florida commission was at all hesitant, um, they would have been that much more proactive once they did have a a case with, with Jacques Array and and the two cornermen. So my, my belief is they are going to continue going save for like a significant outbreak among uh, fighters or, and or staff. Yeah, I tend to agree, and I, I, I feel like, you know, um, at this point, this goes for WWE, maybe even AEW as well, but um, I feel like it would take something much bigger for them to stop operations at this point. Which we should also mention, too, that the, the UFC, like, where they were staying, this hotel that Jacare was staying in, there are people from AEW staying in that hotel for in Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not as though they were um, completely, you know, it's it, 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 that is a part of the story, too. All of your news can be found at postwrestling.com. And we do want to let everybody know that uh, coming up this week, some of the highlights to look out for on the site. Tuesday night, it's Rewind Away, number 61. 
the magical number 61 as we're going back to Kitchener, Ontario, September 18th, 2000 for Monday Nitro. It is an edition of WCW Nitro from the year 2000, and it is, I think, every bit as bad as you might envision it. Um, a lot of Vince Russo on this show. Um, a lot of quick cuts, 10-second backstage scenes, scene to scene to scene to scene. Yeah, it's been a while since I've like stepped into this universe, so like, I I will definitely say, um, you know, there are no po- points where I really get bored. But I also have no idea what I just watched because everything is happening so fast. Everything is so, I think, makes sense to the guy who decided to write it. But if I, like, for me stepping in from, like, these three-hour Raws where, like, we're seeing some pretty, like, you know, dragged out, kind of, like, long extended matches to a show like WCW Nitro in 2000, which featured, like, I don't know, like, three-minute, five-minute matches and just, like, backstage skid after backstage skid after backstage skid with like twists and turns in every direction it was uh it was quite jarring of a of a transition yes so tune in tuesday night as we discuss a tag team main event where the winner will get a wcw title shot at booker t where one of the participants in the match is booker t thanks okay what a payoff we'll get at the end of that night uh then we have uh, all of our regular sh- shows coming out this week, including um, Thursday. We've got the Cafe Hangout, and Andrew Thompson is going to stop by uh, to chat about the latest news. And he's got an interview coming out that day uh, with NWA champion Nick Aldis uh, that you'll want to check out. So we will have that. And on Friday, it's a very special edition of the British Wrestling Experience. It is the Big Euro Transfer Window. Martin Bushby, Jamesy, and Benno will be joined by Andy Ogden, and they are doing a 20-round draft. This was explained to me. They're all going to draft wrestlers and then, out of their picks, formulate pay-per-view cards and then put it out to you, the listener, to vote on who put together the best card. This sounds like the most ambitious and entertaining podcast of the year. I think when it comes to, we've been assessing all the different promotions doing uh, empty arena shows and who have been the most uh, clever with their surroundings. During this whole period, I think the British wrestling experience have had the most unique and clever podcasts during this whole pandemic. They've really kind of taken this opportunity, like this break away from there being noob uh, European wrestling shows to cover to just let their imaginations run wild. And I think this agreed would be their most ambitious one yet. I actually have the document, the scenario here, and I'm only going to read a, a brief portion of it just to tease you guys to know exactly what they're working on. Okay. So the scenario, the year is 2021 wrestling worldwide has been decimated by the effects of the coronavirus pandemic. Wrestling fans around the world have rejected empty arena wrestling and viewing figures have plummeted. Every major wrestling company across the world has gone bankrupt from WWE to AEW to New Japan Pro Wrestling. And as a result, every contracted wrestler on the planet is now a free agent. With the recent discovery of a vaccine for COVID-19, however, there is light at the end of the tunnel. Travel within European countries has once again been deemed safe, but non-nationals are still banned from the US and Japan. Arena wrestling will soon once again be viable. Four wealthy wrestling promoters promoters have come to the fore, determined to once again make Europe the hottest territory on the planet. And that's all you're getting. But the rest of this thing is incredible. I cannot wait to listen to it myself. Um, I'm sure the the gentleman from uh, 
from the BWE and Andy Ogden will, will be doing a fantastic job. This sounds awesome. I can't wait to listen to this. Uh, and then we've got uh, Rewind to SmackDown Friday night. We'll review Dark Side of the Ring on the Road Warriors. Saturday, the Rocky Maivia Picture Show is back with Nate Milton reviewing Snitch with Dwayne Johnson. And uh, he did not have his guest confirmed on Saturday, so I told our own Phil Chair Talk I would, I would plug this. He has started his own podcast, the Fish Bulb Podcast, with our own Phil Chair Talk. And this week, he is joined by Matt Chapman. And speaking of Dwayne Johnson, Matt Chapman a professional rock climbing coach, which I don't even know how that conversation would begin. But man, uh, go check out Phil Chair Talk, the always <laughs> the always entertaining uh, Phil Chair Talk. Who uh, we got so much feedback to our UFC 249 show on Saturday. It's definitely the most feedback we've ever received. So uh, we hope you all enjoyed the show on Saturday. What what a segue from the rock to the rock climbing teacher. You know, I uh, this is why they uh, they they come to John Pollock for King of the Segways. Excellent. And of course, on Rewind to SmackDown this week, we'll be chatting about the latest Dark Side of the Ring, uh, focusing on the Road Warriors. Yes. And after this Raw review, we'll, we'll touch upon the uh, chapter one of the Undertaker documentary that uh, started over the weekend. But we go to Raw inside of the PC, and the announcement from Becky Lynch is what kicked things off. She came out only with the Money in the Bank briefcase, but not her women's title. And you immediately know that this is a... Uh, out of character, Becky Lynch, she said, tonight is not ordinary. She's at a point in her life where things are going to change. And she asked WWE officials to raise the stakes of the Money in the Bank ladder match. And she talked about her history, walking in here in 2013, not knowing anyone or if she was even good enough. She's tearing up. She learned people did care about her and the fans stood behind her. But she's got to go away for a while. And Asuka comes out stating that briefcase is mine, which begs the question how Becky got this briefcase. Did she steal it? Took it from the backstage area, perhaps. Took it from her locker. Becky says Asuka beat her when no one else could. She's been the best wrestler in the world for a while. And she unlocks the briefcase to reveal the Raw women's title is inside. And Becky had the combination for the briefcase. And she explains that Asuka is now the champion by winning last night's match. Becky is crying while Asuka celebrates. This is the greatest celebration you've ever seen. Asuka was dancing on the announcer's desk. And Becky tells her to go be a warrior because I'm going to be a mother. And Asuka reacts to this news, gives her a hug. And Lee, and Becky just walks out saying that she will miss everybody. And that was that was our opening segment and was obviously going to be the big news coming out of Raw. I thought it was a really great segment. You know, um, even in the absence of an audience, this still managed to be incredibly emotional. And I thought that was largely due to how, number one, like how how important, of course, you know, and life changing this news is, but also how personable Becky Lynch is on camera when she needs to be somebody who speaks from the heart. And clearly she has no trouble doing that because you you got the same vibe here as you would have, you know, for Daniel Bryan announcing his retirement or a, uh, Roman Reigns announcing, you know, his his uh, bouts with leukemia in front of a big audience. Um, ultimately, it just comes down to how how um, how how affected the performer is that's speaking and how genuine they come across. And Becky Lynch came came across incredibly genuine, and it was every bit as emotional as if there were you know thousands of people in the audience. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, this is 
Like, certainly, I think tonight's show is going to uh, reverse the trend that they have seen. I thought this was, you know, this was a show that th- this announcement news getting out, I think, was going to spark a lot of interest. And, you know, honestly, when WWE makes these announcements that someone has a major announcement, the the knee-jerk reaction is that it is something, it's going to be bad news because of, you know, the prior examples you brought up. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, in this case, it's absolutely wonderful news. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I, I'm sure we're all disappointed that Becky Lynch isn't going to be around for the next little while, but I think, you know, very happy for her and Seth personally. Uh, it really is great. You know, as far as, you know, Oscar's involvement, I, I, I really did like the way they, they revealed the belt out of the briefcase. Um, the idea that the belt was always in this briefcase the whole time. And th- this was some sort of like, you know, grand plan of the WWE and Becky Lynch to surprise Oscar with the belt. I actually really enjoyed mm-hmm. that. It was a little odd at parts because you had so much realism and, and emotion in Becky's situation, but then you have this full-on like ridiculous heel character in Asuka, like just come out here celebrating, like you know, full-on. It, it was very awkward when she first came out, but I think they got to a point where it, yeah. it worked. But I, I thought it was very jarring when you had this very real heavy moment. And let's be honest, most people watching this don't know what the announcement is either, mm-hmm. so y- you don't know that this is a a happy announcement and not something, you know, more, more dire. It was, it was certainly awkward, but then like, bec- it, I think it almost even helped that it was Asuka because here you have somebody who is number one is a heel and almost like has kind of like evolved or, or devolved. If you want to say, I would say evolved because she's so much more entertaining, but she's almost evolved from like, you know, a, a sports competitor to this almost like an animalistic type of like persona that she's taken on lately. But for her, even like in her current state, to learn that Becky Lynch is going to be a mother in Asuka, you could see the look on her face mm-hmm. changing from a complete heel to somebody who was completely empathetic and completely elated and completely happy for a baby face in Becky Lynch. Somebody who, you know, she was opposing uh, uh, just even earlier in the segment for her to like be happy and give her a hug. I thought it just like turned, I would say, you know, it's a somewhat cartoonish segment into a completely genuine segment. So I... I really liked it all. Backstage after the break, Charlie was with Becky, but it's just um, a scene for all the baby faces to come in and let's not bury the lead. The first one in is a very alive Rey Mysterio. This is our update that the man is alive. Yeah, they, they really, in some ways, I mean, obviously they did those, you know, uh, uh, the Baron Corbin toss out spot as a way to live up to the promise that somebody was going to get thrown off of this roof. And, but beyond that, they never really, you know, treated it like these guys were actually dead. Um, the explanation was that they fell from one tier of the roof to a second tier of the roof. Always got to be thankful for those secondary roofs that are six feet below. Um, Natalia was in here, the street prophets, Bianca, Ricochet, Liv Morgan, just all the baby faces congratulating Becky Lynch. Bobby Lashley versus Umberto Carrillo was a no disqualification match, and it seems that they are very much heating up Bobby Lashley for for a big position as a heel. He misses a spear, lands on the floor, cuts off Carrillo mid-dive, and then gets drop-kicked while he's holding a chair. And the story here is that Carrillo is just too quick for all of Lashley's power moves. But if Lashley catches him, it'll be like Francis Ngannou catching Jarzinho Rosenstruck. That was clearly the the theme here of this. Uh, (laughs) Drives Carrillo into the post. 
And then Lashley misses a chair shot, hitting the post. Carrillo attacks him with the chair shot, but then springboards into a full Nelson, which appears to be Lashley's new big finish, where Carrillo submits in 8 minutes and 42 seconds and takes his time releasing the hold. So it just seems to be all systems go for Bobby Lashley. It's taken them two years to figure out how best to utilize this guy. It really is unbelievable that, like, you know, after everything we've we've been through with this guy and the the various gimmicks we've had of him doing poses, showing showing off his ass, uh, the stuff with Lana and Rusev, like they had this within him all along. If they really wanted to take this guy seriously, and now because they have nobody else, they're finally deciding to do it. And I do worry that it might be too late because Lashley, I think, you know, he's already so overexposed and at such a shitty comedic level. But they are taking him seriously now. We've seen like the great job they they've done with somebody like Drew McIntyre when they do want to take a guy seriously, and they're using you know a very similar I would say tactic for Lashley. Just have him look strong, beating everybody, uh, and and in this scenario, promoting his full Nelson submission. How do you think that that this 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 form that this this idea for Lashley? Like I think it comes down to like. MVP just in a meeting one day saying, you know, I, I could talk for this guy. We had some really great chemistry together. What are you, what are you talking about? Do you, do you guys want me to pull up some clips here? I, we work together in this in this other company. Wait a minute. Probably something this like that. This is some great shit. <laughs> Could have been something like that. I mean, you know, they the, La, the Lana thing clearly wasn't really working out. Um you wanted to make the guy serious. I mean, really, MVP, I think, is one of like the 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 really interesting stories of the WWE this year. How he kind of came from really just a rumble appearance to all of a sudden all this finding spots and finding places that where he's actually really needed. And this would, would probably be one of the best uses of him right now. The Street Profits are preparing for a basketball game with the Viking Raiders. When I saw this, I was... I was seriously contemplating a segment that I was just going to say I skipped on this show. That was my in- initial thought when I heard about this. I was looking um, forward to it, actually. Like, well, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of strange. Like, if we're talking, you know, another 15-minute empty arena match or a game of basketball between the Viking Raiders and the Street Profits, I'm kind of a bit more interested in the basketball. Uh Ford and Dawkins get into a debate about Jordan and LeBron. We get NBA Jam references, and then we cut to the Viking Raiders with the idea that these two have never even heard of what basketball is. Ivar is just staring at the ball, and Eric has said that anything they do, we can do better. And he thought that he meant that they could try axe throwing or people tossing, which maybe that will be the follow-up. Ivar says, do you want to do karaoke? And Eric just looks at him and says, no. So, I mean, a self-referential admission about how bad that segment was. Yes. Their idea that, hey, for those that think this will be bad, it can't be worse than two weeks ago. Charlie interviewed Asuka and Kyrie walks in and she's shocked at what she's seeing here. How did you win the title? And they start dancing together. She was so happy for Asuka. Asuka was so happy. I can't label these two heels. They're, how can you not enjoy these two? It almost seems like the the Oscar turn took place like in the Becky segment, you know. But I mean, I can see them playing it as sort of like a like a sort of a gray area type of thing, depending on who she's feuding with. But I I feel like with Becky gone, you might need to have Oscar as a babyface now. 
Well, it's Shayna is clearly the top heel, and mm-hmm. they need a top babyface now. So Oscar becomes the, you know that that person where it, like Charlotte is technically on Raw, but I mean she's going to be on SmackDown this week and is pretty much removed from the program and isn't involved with anyone now. And certainly, like in this whole empty arena setting, like Oscar has been one of the few people who have actually, I would say, increased her value and increased her stock with her like crazy promos and I. To many people, like it's kind of difficult without an audience there to prove it. But just judging by online reaction, like Oscar remains one of the more entertaining people on this roster, certainly on the Raw Women's Division. So I would say she's she might already be, even be a babyface. Angel Garza took on Miss, Mr. Wednesday Night Akira Tozawa, which, as I checked my calendar, it was not Wednesday night. Byron Saxton noted that Akira Tozawa has had a career resurgence on NXT during this cruiserweight title tournament. How he got this out in it with a straight face was beyond me on, on the show on Monday night. Uh, the pants come off. We've got Andrade, Austin Theory, and Zelina Vega on the floor in his corner. Uh, Tozawa was put into a tree of woe, and eventually the wing clipper is hit. But as Garza hits it, he's staring down Austin Theory. He wins the match in 245, so the career resurgence continues on another night of the week. And then there's a face-off between Garza and Theory with the infighting going on. And they keep arguing until Drew McIntyre comes out uh, to set up our next match. Well, I think we've established that these Mondays are, are warm-ups for Tozawa, right? He, like, comes in here, you know, gets beaten up, and it just fires him up, ready to go for Wednesday. Well, he's undefeated in this Cruiserweight title tournament, so it's clearly working. Yeah. Let's see if the trend continues. McIntyre steps into the ring with all three men, hits Theory and Garza with Claymores, and then stares down Andrade and tells him to be a man and calls for a referee for our impromptu champion versus champion match way. Which I'm pretty sure we just saw, right? Didn't we see this after WrestleMania? We saw this, yes, uh, a couple weeks back. Yeah. So Drew is kind of... Talking smack here with Andrade. Ask him if he needs to catch his breath. Uh, Andrade goes under the ring and snaps the arm of Drew. So he works on the arm, sends it into the post. McIntyre fought back with one arm, including a belly-to-belly. Did the kip-up, did a sky-high for a two-count. But then Andrade hits the double knees. And I guess a a tactic they're giving Drew now is taking these moves and kicking out at one. They did it on the pay-per-view and continued that here. The hammerlock DDT is blocked, but the discus elbow hits. Drew responds with the Glasgow kiss, and then the reverse Hurricane Rana by Andrade gets blocked into the inverted Alabama slam. 3-2-1 Claymore, and Drew wins in eight and a half minutes. I thought a good match. Um, You know, a result that doesn't really change a whole lot in terms of rank. I I did, however, feel like like another loss for Andrade. To me, kind of took the edge off of me wanting to see that Apollo program. Um, They did, you know, remind us that Apollo was out due to the uh, injury from Andrade and that, you know, that's still a a dangling carrot that they have for Andrade. So I had no issue, I think, if this was a month ago when Andrade really had nothing else going on. Like, you can have Drew beat him as much as you want. But now that, like, you have somebody who is looking to get revenge on Andrade, I didn't really need him out here to just, like, take random losses to Drew for no reason. Yeah, I mean, we're getting this update on the IC title. I would like an update on the United States title. What's the point of this thing? Something for Zelina to hold. I guess so. Drew gets on the microphone. He did not come out here for a match, but the reason he's in his trunks is because anything can happen. He says that Seth Rollins really brought it last night, 
And he's about to drop the F word, but then he says he friggin' brought it. Frickin'. Frickin' bought it, brought it. <laughs> then he just casually mentions a term that anyone would just let slide off the tongue. He talks about the brand-to-brand invitation. Uh. Raw has invited a SmackDown star and chosen Drew McIntyre as his opponent. Now, were these like handwritten invitations? Are these emails? Do the wrestlers get any say in any of this? Um, um, who's making these know. decisions? Yeah, maybe it's a, I don't know, fancy postcard. He says, the guy I'm going to face, everyone hates this guy. He's a terrible human being. Next week, it's Drew McIntyre versus King Corbin. And he's going to have a Claymore fit for a king next week. Yeah. I think anytime you're trying to promote, like, a, you know, a new um, feature, new attraction in a, in a on your show, um, I, I felt like they picked the worst possible person to, to lead it with in a Baron Corbin match. The idea, I guess, is, is that you get to see Drew McIntyre beat up Baron Corbin, but... I just I don't I don't think that makes any difference at all. You realize that this was uh if this was a any other babyface, they would have given him some uh dialogue at the end because this would need a slogan and say, So King Corbin, if you're gonna answer the brand to brand invitation, don't forget to raw SVP. Um Yep. SmackDown this week will have Otis on Ms. TV and Charlotte will be on SmackDown. Uh, it took me probably an entire commercial break afterwards to realize Charlotte is on Raw and she is going to the other show. I didn't realize that either. I thought she was a SmackDown person. I watched uh, an upcoming match. Well, well, we'll get to it here. MVP is with Lashley backstage and he tells Lashley he needs to stay angry and focused. He puts over the full Nelson and asks, what are you doing <laughs> Fighting this idiot like Akira Tozawa. Why are you wasting your time with this guy? He says, you haven't fought for the WWE title since 2007, which is a very long time. He said, that's back when I was getting my start. Lashley, you're still in the same spot. And he asks, when is Lashley going to let Lashley come out? And MVP, MVP walks away and he goes around the corner and there is Lana and tells him that if Lashley is looking for a way out, to come find him, and Lana just loses it, screaming at him. Yeah, so it seems like they're having the two Bobby Lashley managers interact now. Uh, this was, you know, a firm establishment of MVP being associated with Lashley, and I guess they're going to do some sort of jealousy storyline between the two. That seems to be where where they're going, and that MVP is going to be more effective for Lashley's career, and Lana's weighing him down. That seems to be the direction here. Awesome. Moment of bliss with Alexa and Nikki Cross, where they said the man is having a baby, and they said the man how becomes the mom. Yeah, the man becomes the mom, and they said it was very well timed the day after Mother's Day, and they go on to wish all the mothers and expectant mothers a happy Mother's Day a day late. The Iconics return. They come out. And they are the guests on the Moment of Bliss. And the champions joke that the baby announcement stole their thunder. And they want a tag title shot. And then we came back with a match. So 
they said they wanted the tag title shot, and then I think the uh, Bliss and Cross said no, and then uh, the Iconics said, okay, we'll just settle for a match, and that's it. Okay, well, then that's on me, because I watched this, and dude, it wasn't until the end of the show when they announced the title match for next week that I, re- I just totally thought they had won the titles here the whole time. Uh, it would have been easy to miss, yeah, but no, this was non-title. Well, um, I can't say this match really got me excited for next week's rematch. Um, they went for five and a half minutes here. Um, this included uh, Cross getting double teamed. She worked her way to the corner after hitting a jawbreaker. Bliss and uh, Billy Kay, I believe, were in here. And Kay ended up uh, hitting a right hand behind the referee's back that they called a sucker punch. And then they lifted up Bliss. And it looks like the Iconics have taken the magic killer and added their own unique way of hitting this maneuver. So bliss like landed on her front and this was their new finish Five twenty-five, the iconics win. And we'll get the tag title match next week. They've got the magic killer. Now look at that. Maybe they're secretly bullet club. That could, that could be it. Maybe this would be the, um, the, um, I'm trying to think of a name for it. Um, I'm sure one will come to me. Yeah. You know, um, I was really happy to see the Iconics again. Nice to see, really, a women's tag title program, period. Uh, I was really surprised to, to hear that they've been away for seven months. That is almost unbelievable. And I don't even have an explanation. Were either of them even injured? I don't know what the deal was yeah. uh, with either of them. Uh, you know, and certainly, like, their their tag title reign really didn't was not very inspiring. I mean, number one, they didn't do a whole lot with them. But the problem is, in ring, I think they're only at a certain level. And we all know that. But that doesn't mean that they can't be, uh, you know, contributors to the show and that the show doesn't. They're a very entertaining act. The it's show just, needs it's... their personalities. And so I was really happy to see it. I miss They are them. Elias. They are Elias. They're better than Elias. They're way funnier and way more entertaining than Elias, I would say. So um, the match didn't do a whole lot for me. It was just kind of there. But, I mean, I'm happy to see the Iconics get a storyline anyway. If anything, just to be a vehicle for, for them to showcase a bit more story and, and a bit more of their personality. They would probably shine more in a in a talk show hosting segment than Bliss and Cross. Absolutely, hundred percent. Yes. Then we go to my my highlight of my highlight of the show. You know, last year I was talking about Rey Mysterio being one of the best on interviews. He's got a whole new appreciation for me doing these interviews about escaping death. So Charlie is with Ray. <laughs> let's let's. Rewind that our last image was him being tossed off the side of a roof. We have learned that the man is alive, and Charlie's open in question. How are you? How are you feeling today? Ray feels great. He saw his life flash before his eyes, but a miracle happened. He landed on a secondary roof, six feet down. How he knew this was six feet? The man is just a marvel. He just has that that coordination to know the the length of which he fell. And he got back up. But then, Alistair Black met the same fate he did and landed right next to him. So perfect landing from Corbin. I mean, he could have landed right on top of Ray. He congratulates Otis on the victory. He could not get the job done. And then Seth walks in, and he's just towering over Ray. It was incredible how tall this, this guy had. He looked like he was standing on something. He was so tall. Uh, could be. Yeah. I mean, he is a tall guy. 
it was a it was a six foot drop from the top of Seth's head to raise. Ray congratulates Seth and says, "Becoming a father changes your life," and he offers his hand. But unlike last night, Seth was not in the mood for handshakes. He just had this this trance like state. Stared at Ray and walked off. And then Ray, under his breath, just mumbles to Charlie, "What a dick." I feel like that's the first time I've heard what a dick on WWE TV. Am I wrong? He's like Gene Okerlund in 2000 when he just started to swear, calling Mike Sanders a prick. I would love that to be uh, Ray Mysterio's new catchphrase. Dude, Ray is the only one that can get away with this stuff and just somehow be able to to explain all this away. A a miracle happened. I mean, this this was just... Awesome. Man, that shit's all on them, honestly. Like, pr- trying to promote this match as if somebody was going to die, then doing the spot as if it looked like somebody was going to die. But clearly, they had no intention to, to really follow up on it. Um, and I think you just leave, you know, the whole scenario with a lot of people clowning on on the situation. I mean, that's it. It's just, it's uh, it's ridiculous. You got to have fun with it. So... It's not just our only baby news this week, because this week on Total Bellas, Nikki tells Artem, which I guess Nikki is, is telling the, uh, the cameras before Artem finds out. That's what this promo told me. Nikki is telling Artem before the cameras find out? No, the cameras find out first, because you got Nikki explaining that she has not to- told Artem yet, and she's on camera. Um, the, well, yeah, the cameras were, were first to find out, yeah, yeah. before Artem. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they had already actually occurred last week. Oh, th- does has Artem found out on the show, or no. has Nikki just Nikki has found this out? Nikki suspects that she's pregnant, and so the mom knows. Um, so the mom's bought pregnancy tests, and Artem does not know yet. Okay. Cedric Alexander, Ricochet, and R Truth versus MVP Shane Thorne and Brendan Vink. This also saw R Truth. Um, with his teeth becoming pretty Ricky. Yeah, so R-Truth is, is debuting this kind of a secondary character named Pretty Ricky, which uh, involves basically R-Truth putting in false teeth and crossing his eyes. Um, and he's able to transform into him at will. Yes. So we got the the, the Pretty Ricky uh, return here. and Oh, this thing existed before? Oh, he's he did this before, like a, a long time ago. It was like this totally. character he did like over a decade ago. God, I totally forget that. This guy's been here forever. He's 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 done a lot of stuff with this company. Um, the heels cut off the ring with with uh, Alexander. Alexander gets caught. Ricochet hits a moonsault to Vink and Thorn with him on the floor. Truth has the teeth in, passes them off to the referee, and then catches MVP with the lie detector and wins the match in four thirty two. So it seems like MVP has a uh, really several roles. He's a he's a producer. He's a uh, uh, an aspiring manager for a top act, and he's also the guy that can take pins. Yeah, they're relying on him a lot uh, for a lot of things, and I don't know if I don't know how much this like Vink and Thorn thing is is going to take off. Like, what- we need to know something about them. They need to give us anything. Like, you can't say one thing about these two. That like they're they're just not giving them any chance to get over. You're not just going to magically get popular in front of no crowds and you are doing you know five minute matches every week. It's you need some 
introduction about who these people are. Just a, a one-liner to describe what what is who is Brendan Vink and what's he doing? As a brand new team, to me, I thought they were complete afterthoughts in a match like this uh, because the person they were promoting was pre- pretty Ricky in all of this. So I, I, I don't sense that they're all that committed with Vink and Thorne, especially with MVP now doing all this other stuff with Lashley. Um, this, man, this pretty Ricky stuff to me didn't work. I, I thought it was pretty lame. Um, I don't even remember it before. How was it before? I'm I'm not going back to 2009. I, okay. I, I assume it didn't leave a lasting impression on anybody. Anyway, so uh, what are they doing here? Is is it Lashley in, in Truth again? Well, well, Lashley came out here, speared Truth, and MVP was watching along. He did the full Nelson, and then MVP drove, drilled him with a boot, and Lashley said they need to go talk. All right. So that looks to be our our alliances, MVP paired with Lashley. Yep. The beatdown clan returns. Charlie was with Jinder Mahal. He announced, I'm back on Raw. It's been a long 10 months. The man was here two weeks ago. Well, like he's speaking. I mean, he didn't get a chance to speak two weeks ago, did he? Uh, he had. I mean, listen, Edge I think and he Norton. Did. Oh, he did? Maybe he forgot. Well, he mentions his old pal Drew McIntyre. He has learned from his mistakes, and he says his journey to the top this time will be a hero's journey. Yeah, yeah. So uh, he's going to be the heel who thinks he's a babyface? That's what it sounds like. Okay. All right. So we got, we got a big Drew McIntyre, Jinder Mahal showdown down the road. Far down the road. I think I, I hope very. I hope this is a very, very, very long journey, one that has many detours and maybe you know a, a decision to, you know, find a, an alternate path. Maybe could be, could be. Like Drew himself in an interview has said that he he doesn't he wants Jinder to pick up some steam first before going to that program. So he's gonna have to pick up a lot of steam. That's really hard to do. Have you ever tried to pick up steam? Can't really um, grab it. It's hard. Yeah, you would need some sort of steam catcher, um, some sort of basket. Shane is with Charlie. And Shana says about Becky, how stupid do you need to be to get knocked up while you're champion? She threw away her title reign for a miserable parasite. That kid is going to suck. You know who the father is? I rest my case. Yeah, they're they are giving Shayna a a lot of like nasty ammunition here. Like who the giving... hell wrote this? <laughs> Someone that seems really angry. Probably Paul Heyman, or some combination of Paul Heyman and Vince McMahon. But yeah, they're giving her the nastiest material. Well, there would be more to come. Uh, we got a clip of The Undertaker's documentary, and then we came back from break, and there was just this scene of Becky and Vince McMahon embracing. There was no sound, and it just seemed like a natural moment that they were including here. It's really unusual for them to – I mean, I don't know if there was just something lost in, like, the transmission on Sportsnet or something, but, yeah, this this just, like, was a scene with no audio. It was very strange. Um, I don't know I if I kind of liked it. 
I kind of like the fact that like they didn't have audio over top of it. It almost felt like it, it totally could have been just a technical glitch, but yeah. I thought it was like a happy accident if that was the case. Yeah, I mean, it certainly is out of character for their level of, you know, super polished production to just so, show this kind of like piece of footage like that. Uh, but it was nice to see. Rey Mysterio, Aleister Black versus Seth Rollins and Murphy. And this is like the the full-on new Seth Rollins character. He comes down and he, like, uh, I say this respectfully, he just looked like shit. He was all disheveled. He's in this trance. He won't tag in. Murphy doesn't know what the hell he's doing. And so it's pretty much a handicap match here with Murphy against Ray and Alistair Black. The two men who now have an alliance through their shared brush with death. Oh, pretty much, yeah. Their six-foot brush with death. Murphy is yelling at Seth on the apron, who is just in his own world. Um, Black just stares at Seth at one point, and then Murphy kicks Black's head into the post. They go through the commercial. Ray hits a Hurricane Rana off the apron, of which the announcers note he still isn't 100% after Money in the Bank. So give him give him a little, little, little bit of leeway here. Ray's goes for the 619, and now Seth appears, and he grabs Ray by the legs and he does the most unthinkable act. He pulls the man to the floor. This causes the DQ at 11 minutes. His Rollins worse than the fall. Yeah, this was a well, this was a miniature fall. Uh, Rollins starts punching him in the eye, and the announcers are selling this. He's going for the eye. He tells Murphy to back off, and then he takes Ray, and he drives his eye into the corner of the steps. So that the edge is going right into Ray. This is the the six one eye, and the eye starts bleeding. The uh, officials are out to check on Ray. They've got a towel. Ray just howls in pain. And meanwhile, you've got Rollins walking up the ramp with this extreme close up of his face, just looking maniacal. This was the absolute most bizarre episode of raw to do this on but also a super effective uh the most meaningful angle seth has been in a part of in quite some time it was the most heelish thing he's ever done in this entire run you know like the most violent thing he's, he's done in this entire run this was like you know a randy orton level type of gruesome like eye injury body yeah this is going back to like the jeff hardy thing with like the ears and stuff like really graphic looking Mm -hmm. like i'm surprised they went they went this far and as you mentioned you know it it was at least looking like they were teasing a baby face turn with seth and certainly with the acknowledgement that he is about to be a new father with you know the most beloved person in the company and becky lynch definitely strange to see this type of turn uh, at this point um i i think i was disappointed because it just means that we're going to get another round of Seth Rollins trying to act. Um, and, you know, this time, at least he's not going to speak as much, which I think will, will be helpful. <laughs> but, like, even, like, the non-speaking acting is is going to be really cringy, as I thought it, it definitely partially got to on this episode. Yeah, and I'd be curious people's thoughts, because I can see a lot of people saying, like, this is, this was so disjointed from... This particular episode because of this real life news that everyone knows about and it's well, they said almost, themselves. Oh, yeah. They brought it up. It's not like they even just did a weird WWE thing where it's like Becky's pregnant, but we're never going to mention like the couple with with Seth. Like they fully acknowledged it. It wasn't even like anything they were shying away from. 
but it almost like you watch this, it's like the heat is or the change in Seth's character. It's not so much the loss to Drew McIntyre. It's like this announcement has like driven this man to insanity. <laughs> it's weird. Like that. No. That's what you feel on this yeah. show. Like this man should be on top of the world. He man. should be happy. You know, uh, not everybody reacts that way. Um, anyway, yeah. It, it's Again, super- like I, I think Seth did really, really well in the in this role, and I mean, he's working with Ray, so it's like oh, pretty hard to to screw this up. Like this is pretty much as much of a foolproof angle as possible. But I, I do look at it that of my two options, if I had this idea to do something pretty extreme by WWE measures. And you have this AJ character. I think like this would have been a really unique way to go with him to reintroduce him. And we didn't have AJ on the show tonight, by the way. No, we did not. Well, uh, he was backstage watching the Taker thing, and then he threw popcorn at the screen. Is is all he did. Um, so he's. They are still teasing something with AJ Styles and the Undertaker after this. Um, yeah, I I also really just hated the DQ. I mean why it was pretty weak like he did he pulled him to the floor that's literally what he did like in the tag match that he was a part of like yeah. he was just playing the role of a tag team partner i i really just have an issue anytime they they do such like um you know in in incongruous types of dqs that have no uh precedent set beforehand um it was really lame i thought the match itself was like whatever like it, it it was all a prelude to the angle. The angle was the, you know, the big yeah. point of the segment. Um, and, I mean, Rollins and Ray, they should have a really great program together. And we'll see if this now kind of brings about a more darker character for Seth, which he has struggled with to be charitable you know, over this last two months as this Messiah character. So maybe being this more maniacal version, um, he, he had like the, the feel of it. Like he was trying to be yeah. something greatly different, but the problem is when you, you know, Seth at times, like the acting side of it can be a real stretch for him, but I thought it worked tonight. Oh, not me. I, I think the the less acting, the better for this guy, not more acting, which is what I think this new character. Well, he has to do some things. Like you don't want him to talk. You don't want him to act. He's got to do something. I want him to be himself. I I don't want him to play a character. <laughs> well, we're far from that. We are very oh, far from that. I don't this want guy's a, this guy's I don't a want... coffee owner. <laughs> Great. He's a coffee owner that does CrossFit. <laughs> that's that's fine. Just something that like does not require him to uh, try to be something that he's not naturally because I just don't think he's very good at it. Ray is being examined after the break, complete with his mask removed and his eye they had like uh, like uh, blood going over the eye to make this look really uh, gruesome. Uh, we've got Alistair Black there, his soulmate, and Adam Pierce, and it's just Black's like his best friend now. Well, sure, yeah. Who else? I guess a concerned tag partner. Of course, yeah, yeah. They're, they they had a bonding experience at Money in the Bank, and now they're uh, they're best friends. Rollins comes in with Murphy, and they take Ray away. Rollins says, I don't know what happened out there. And Black just beats down Murphy, who really had little to do with all of this. And Rollins just takes off and leaves. And that was the end of this. Yeah, I thought he was going after Ray because he went in the same direction. They took Ray off into another room. Um, yeah, so I thought so, too. Uh, he seems like he's a guy who's possessed. Then we had basketball highlights from earlier in the day with the Viking Raiders needing to learn how the game works. And this featured an alley-oop attempt where 
Ivar threw the ball so high it knocked into the ceiling. And then we come back and it's the basketball game. They're going to do five-minute quarters and Ivar does not understand how checking the ball works. So he gives it away for the first two points of the game. And we just get a whole sequence of (laughs) just the Viking Raiders being awful at basketball, which kind of takes some some skill to just be awful at this in all of these scenes. And it's the Prophets just ringing up the score. Uh, They said that white man can't jump, but we weren't so sure about Vikings. It's 37-0 after the first half. Ford hits a half-court shot. Eric then lifts up Ivar for a shot. And then Eric hits a buzzer beater. And they get their first two points. They lose 74-2, to two, but are trying to argue that they scored last and therefore they should win. They raked up 19 fouls. But then <laughs> afterwards, they inform the Street Profits that we knew what we were doing the whole time. We let you win. As Ivar proceeds to hit a three-pointer and then just a sequence of shots, nailing every single shot. And the Street Profits are left dumbfounded. Like, why didn't you just beat them at the game? What 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 was this? Why would you throw this game? That didn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, why they They waited. should have explained that we are great at basketball, but we're even better workers in pro wrestling. And we know that we need to get some heat on you guys because this feud is dead. So we're going to let you guys beat us at something because we just beat you in the wrestling match last, last week. That's how he should have explained it. Okay, sure. Yeah, perhaps. We're building you up for a match by 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 throwing the basketball game. That part to me didn't make a whole lot of sense why they spent all that time throwing the game only to just, you know, right afterwards show them how good they are. But I I I think I just enjoyed the fact that we got one of these sketches that was very reminiscent to me of like something like a Mr. Perfect sports sketch. And <laughs> it felt exactly like that. And it didn't it wasn't just a one take simple thing backstage like they they often do. Certainly this was much better than the karaoke. I thought the prophets were so entertaining doing their trash talking as they were beating the shit out of out of the Viking Raiders. And then I thought like, the Viking Raiders were so funny here. They were funny, yeah. And then like the the facial expressions on the Street Prophets faces as they were doing all the slow-mo shots of like <laughs> Ivar slam dunking like it was super cheesy like early 90s late 80s WWE type of program and that to me just kind of felt nostalgic for uh, for of like you know similar skits from that period this was like some actual de- decent like comedy that you know the Viking Raiders it's you know this is the kind of stuff that does get you over in WWE or at least is their goal to um, take these guys that are are somewhat one dimensional and you know great tag team, but trying to add something to them that this was, uh, I think, entertaining. And overall, this certainly exceeded my expectations, which were in the ground when this began. Mm-hmm. So Shayna was backstage preparing for the match when Natalia walked in and said how bad it is to quote disrespect the miracle that is motherhood. Baszler says. It isn't like you're ever going to have a kid and the heart dynasty is going to die with you. Oh God. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Really mean. They're going really low with Shayna and some of these lines. Um, And I'm sure that like, you know, they probably love the reaction. It's she is a heel. So Shayna and Natalia had a match, which I swear to God, it's a joke at this point. Natalia slaps her telling her I'm the bitch now. 
and then starts going after Baszler. Is that all you've got, bitch? <laughs> Baszler then attacks her in the corner, hits a series of snap suplexes. Kirafuda clutch gets avoided. She goes for an Iminari roll. She was watching Tony Ferguson in the in late in the fight on Saturday with Gaethje. She used it to get into the sharpshooter. It was awesome. Oh, this was the perfect setup for the sharpshooter. Why didn't Brett ever try this? Probably could have been the setup for Yokozuna. I think Brett would have been excellent at, at jujitsu. I, I think absolutely. I mean, he had the amateur wrestling skills. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think he would have transitioned very well. So we got our first ever Iminari roll into a sharpshooter, and then that gets countered. She goes for the stomp to the elbow, misses, but then drills Natalia with a knee to the face and pins her in 346, winning with the knee strike. And it seems that uh, they're building up Shayna and Bobby Lashley as the two big heels. Uh, that's and Seth, like they're putting a, they're putting a lot of heat on heels on this show. Good. I mean, it's it really is kind of the next logical step if you have to build to these pay per views. Um, I, I think this was a nice little match between these two. Their styles match really well. Of course, the storytelling was very strong. Um, I, I thought, you know, it was definitely low brow how they got to this point with like Shayna's lines about motherhood, which I think you could definitely argue about the tastefulness of, of some of that material. It was pretty low, very low. Yeah. But, but to me, it did get me invested in the match. So Natalia just stood there. All upset, um, Shayna proceeded to the back. Charlie was with King Corbin, who has made his way to Raw. He said he's asked about uh, trying to murder two people on Saturday. All, he saw red, and he thought that that is what it took to win the match. He said that Ray and Black they landed on a secondary roof and they're lucky. And Charlie just goes, "Okay, well, on to next week." And Corbin says that Drew became champion because Drew rode his coattails when they were on Raw. Sure. Okay. Sound logic. So it's Drew and King Corbin next week and the Iconics against Bliss and Cross for the tag titles. But our closing segment saw Charlie in the ring welcoming out Edge for the first time since WrestleMania with his new t-shirt that reads Grit. Yeah, with the R, with a rated R um, logo for the R. Will, will this one make its way into Braden Harrington's wardrobe? Oh, God, who knows? I mean, he's got a lot of shirts. He's a big Edge fan, but I can't see him purchasing a shirt that reads Grit. I can't either, but I can see him asking somebody else to buy it for him. That's that's definitely the case. Yeah. Edge says he doesn't live a life of what-ifs. He asks, what is next? WrestleMania is not the end for Edge. And last week on Raw, the promo was stating, is the hunter coming to hunt the Viper? Well, they never spoke to me. I got my closure at WrestleMania. Orton gave me the fight of my life, but me and my family, we're ready to move on. And he's about to talk about all the talent that's available in the locker room, but then Orton comes out in his gear. This guy's all set to go. He congratulates Edge and says at WrestleMania, the better man won. And he goes to leave. He walks up the ramp, but a smirk comes over his face. He comes back into the ring and says, I just can't do it. I can't lie to you. The better man did win, but the better wrestler didn't. He said at the Royal Rumble, you hid behind 29 other people, which would mean he's counting himself. And in the no holds barred match, that was not a wrestling match. Edge got to choose the no holds barred stipulation. And I may not have answered the count, 
But it didn't take me nine years to get back on my feet. Nine years, Edge. That's almost a decade. He said the Rumble and No Holds Barred matches, those were not real matches. So in my book, you haven't wrestled since 2011. And you don't have it in you anymore. I see doubt in your eyes. And your grit does not compare to my natural ability and passion. He says he's going to knock off his ring rust and, or sorry, the, the passion is not going to knock off Edge's ring rust. And if Edge has the guts, he will face him at Backlash, Edge Orton, in a traditional wrestling match. And Edge just stands there. He has no response. So Charlie just works her way into the middle and says, if this happens, it just might be the greatest wrestling match Ever. <laughs> that was so unbelievably out of place for an announcer to just in the middle of like this very heated exchange say like a statement that outlandish for no, seemingly no reason. She could have pressed him a little harder for an answer. Yeah, but at like in what interview setting would. Would an interviewer, um, you know, at the, at the, like, while reacting to silence, say a line like, well, if this does happen, it just may be the greatest wrestling match ever. <laughs> then Edge just follows up. Eh, maybe, maybe not. We'll see. <sighs> Three and a quarter. Yeah. Listen, I, I love the segment. I thought it was great. Like, you know, the magic that these two had getting into their match. I mean, unfortunately, because I think the match turned out the way it did, it wasn't off. It wasn't awful, but at the same time, it was definitely the weakest thing. One of the, I, yeah, it was the weakest thing coming out of WrestleMania, at least for me, because of the length, because of how long, like, eh, how how disappointing I would say it was. Uh, but it, it, it's it's too bad that the quality of that match somewhat kind of, you know, made us forget how good everything beforehand was. And yeah, this, they had a t- this to me was then like, you know, basically reminding us about the magic that these two had prior to that match. And this is their second chance to be able to, you know, redo it. And, and this time by having, you know, a, a match that hopefully will live up to those expectations. I mean, the first 10 minutes at Mania, I said, I, I was really into those first 10. It was the, the last 30 that did a number on me, uh, which is staggering. I, I, I don't care what Edge says. I know that deep down, this guy had to have heard every criticism. And I think if he's being honest with himself, th- this guy has to know that they want to do this match again. And I'm very curious to see what they do different this next time around. Um, see, he wants because, to. Because I did... And as a fan, I want to see it because I know he and Orton have something better within him. If you watch that 24 about Edge, like the guy bought a bought a ring and brought a ring into his own backyard to train for a professional wrestling match. He, he, they weren't he wasn't training for, you know, with uh, who was it? Uh, Dash Wilder Dash. To, to do a street fight. So I know Edge has been spending all the time working on professional wrestling, not what we ended up seeing at WrestleMania. So I personally want to see them redo it. Yeah, and that's and it is a big match, even with the negativity that came out of that match at WrestleMania. To have that at Backlash, um, and 
you're going to have – it just seems like every month now it's like what is the tagline that can grab the most amount of people and promoting something as the greatest match of all time is going to bring about – I think that they specifically look for things to just – that are naturally going to bring such a, a, a visceral reaction from people to make such a proclamation. Oh so, my may- god, really? Like because that's it, – it's, it's a handicap that they're giving that match. There's no way – that match will be able to live up to to this sort of billing. I think um, their thinking is let's let's promote this as the greatest match of all time, and all we want is to get these people to tune in to see if we're wrong. The problem is, I think that's a perfectly fine tagline. If we're talking about like the Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels two, okay, let's say the first one was that good, and if you're doing a rematch, running that back, promoting it as what may possibly be the greatest wrestling match ever. I think is perfectly fine it, it, because there's there's credibility to that statement. You're coming off of Edge versus Randy Orton in a 40-minute backstage brawl that was, I would say, almost nearly universally pained. And if you're, you're trying to tell me that the second time around may be the, the greatest wrestling match ever, what justification do you have to, to spark any sort of confidence within me? Well, I'm looking forward to the morning after when people are arguing it was the greatest match of all time. that That's what I'm here for. I look for the simple you things. You think this will beat uh, Okada Omega, uh, you know... Um, someone Ko- will make Ko- that Ko- argument. Kawada Misawa, like... You know we're going to get someone with the take that, okay, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't Misawa Kawada, but I mean, it was, it was up there. Like, that will be an absolute take that I is don't think on so. the Monday after, on June 15th. It will happen. Um, which which I'm all for, and and this is coming from someone that has discovered that I can disable comments on tweets, which I, I'm getting close to. I, I might I might start doing that. Oh please, yes, love to see a reaction. Anyway, uh, the the whole segment I thought was great. The Charlie thing was super weird, super uncomfortable, and super awkward. Uh, not to mention, I would say Edge's silence. I mean, it seems like they are going to tease. Well, they're they're waiting to give us his response probably next week. Yeah, which I would think it's a given. Um, so t- today they taped Raw and this Friday SmackDown. Tomorrow, which is Tuesday, they're taping next week's Raw and SmackDown. So I would think for sure Edge and Orton would be there for next week's show. And how many weeks until Backlash here? Let's see. Five. Five weeks. Okay, so a pretty June, June 14th. So they've got a lot of time. They They miscalculated. They really should have made it the following Sunday. Edge on Father's Day. Facing Randy. Oh, interesting. Um, well, no, that'll be that would be Seth's big program. Oh, multiple advantages to running Father's Day this yeah. year. I mean, um, do we see Dominic here because this is you know in this uh, Seth and, and oh. Ray feud, it's very much a father fatherhood type of type of storyline. Yeah, maybe we'll get the return of Dominic. All right. Yeah. Okay, let's go to the feedback, and then we'll chat about the Undertaker uh, documentary. Um, yes, I want to thank Paul for write, putting the thread up. I've been really bad putting these threads up lately. I apologize, but Paul from New Jersey saved saved us by um, making one himself. So, what the hell? For some reason, the poll uh, didn't work. So, well, let's just go into the feedback. Apologies, everybody. I don't know why that doesn't work. Okay, but anyway, we got a Paul from New Jersey who said, I thought the opening segment was very well done. I like that Asuka was her over-the-top character, yet embraced and congratulated Becky. Very min- reminiscent of the scene from Kill Bill Part 2 where Karen the Assassin lets Beatrix 
live based on her pregnancy. I like the backstage segment of superstars approaching Becky to congratulate her. It actually came off somewhat surreal. MVP cut a tremendous promo with Lashley. I don't think I appreciated MVP enough in his first run. This was followed by some of the worst line delivery I've ever heard from Lana. On to the main event, the reason why we're here. The return of the greatest, P-Daddy and B-Mama. Peyton Royce and post-wrestling award winner Billy Kay have returned. I thought they looked fresh in the ring, got thrown around and got get thrown off a building, wrestled it. Okay. What award did she win? I don't know. No idea. Might Jay been, from Colorado. Might have, not, might have not been a good one. Um, asks about uh, the odds Becky doesn't come back. I mean, who knows? I mean, that's that's going to be so far down down the road. She'll, you know, she she may want to come back. She, I predict she won't have wrestled her last match. I can. I, I certainly don't think she's wrestled her last match. But in terms of being, you know, coming back as a regular, it's like who knows? Who 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 knows? Um, Mentions here, Seth's Money in the Bank entrance to Depeche Mode's personal Jesus. It's absolutely amazing and harkens back to why Cult of Personality was so complimentary to CM Punk. I understand why the WWE doesn't use licensed music more, but I can't help but think how such a simple addition could possibly draw more casual viewers in. So what, did someone on Reddit, they put the Depeche Mode song over his entrance? I think so, yeah. Oh, okay. Well. Um, I mean, there are a lot of like you know, hurdles to doing it. Punk managed to get it, getting Depeche Mode. They could. Is it worth their while? Um, I personally don't think so. Um, It's, I don't think it'll make a difference. Not with this Seth Rollins character. Yeah. I mean, it's, (laughs) it's not, it's, it's, it's one thing to get it for like a, a special occasion where you're doing a video and you get a commercial song, but then to license it in perpetuity, for a streaming platform, it's you know it's 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 an undertaking. It's like it's it's a it's a it's an expense that you have to justify, and I mean that's what it ultimately comes down to. Some are going to be uh, worth going that that extra mile for, and the Monday Night Messiah, I guess, does not uh, reach that criteria yet. We got Alex from Portland who says, top to bottom, this show will be the one that's most remembered when it comes to the empty arena era. I can only imagine just how vociferous a crowd would have been at the announcement of Becky being pregnant. Very curious to see if Becky's pregnancy will be turned into a storyline for Seth. He's previously wanted the WWE Championship for glory, dominance, and to relieve the burden from others. Heal Seth vying for the title so he can make more money for his newborn child. Could be an interesting story. Oh my god, he's going to accuse Drew of taking food off his table. Oh goodness. Amazing. Question, do you think it's likely that we see Edge as a world champion in the next year? Sure, possible. I definitely think that's possible. I mean, when you look at this roster, who are among the biggest names? And certainly Edge is up there. Um, And they're definitely low on on those people who could be at that championship level. So I could definitely see that. And Andrew from Cape Breton. Tonight, a very surprising turn of events came to light. That's right, Samoa Joe had a ponytail. It was almost like Lance Archer's murder hawk. I don't know if it's the best look, but Joe can't really go to a barber, so I guess that will do. This show was one of the better outings that WWE has put out in the Empty Arena era. The highlight was Shayna Baszler and her excellent promo and showing no care for her former rival. No wonder Seth Rollins looks in rough shape. The babyface locker room is all happy for Becky, but the heel locker room is probably telling Seth that his life is over. The main negative was the wild card rule somewhat coming back. I guess the issue is the roster is going to be limited just based on who doesn't want to work and who can actually show up due to being stuck in another country like a Bobby Roode. Overall, a good show. 
Seven out of ten. Samojo's ponytail. All right. Thank you guys for Thank your you. for your feedback. Okay, we'll end off with The Undertaker, Chapter 1, The Greatest Fear. And I wanted to mention off the top, this was brought up by uh, by uh, Brian Gortz, and it was a thing we were talking about after the uh, after WrestleMania with the Boneyard match and the Firefly Funhouse, that WWE, there is a real aversion to credits. And I just look at The Last Dance, and you can't go anywhere without seeing Jason Ayer getting so much critical praise for this documentary. And I will guarantee that 99% of people have no idea who the director of this is, but it is a, a man by the name of Dan Pucciarelli. And there were also um, mentioning here, uh, Matthew brain and Steve Cono, who were part of the team. I'm sure a very large team that uh, put this together, but uh, Dan Pucciarelli is the director. And I think it's, it's beyond time that they reassess this, this rigid, uh, philosophy they have towards uh, credits at the end of this, because to me, um, this is a, this is a real big. I was going to say undertaking, but substitute a new word uh, that they went through for three years, and I think it's about time that people get a little more spotlight than just simply a WWE production. Oh, certainly, I agree. Um, I guess it's just this is it's for some reason this company used to do this right. Yeah, Saturday I Night's mean, main the, event, all its stuff, but then like for some WCW reason, all the time. I mean, yeah. it was um, you know, it's like it's it's not foreign to pro wrestling to have uh, credits um, mm-hmm. within a show, but it's something that WWE, you know, at, at this time when they've just had this explosion of digital content that generally gets very positive reviews, you would be struggling to be able to name the people responsible um, for so much of the, this content that fuels the network. Yeah, yeah. Um, what what explanations do you have for for why they choose not to do it? I I, I can't really give you like th- what what the thought process is, other than you know not. It, it's a decision that they make that's pretty uniform. Um, that it's just a policy they have. Like they don't run credits on any of this stuff, and I think it's just uh, it's uh, it's unfortunate because these are the people that you know how how many potential names that we are not aware of that probably were part of these furloughs and cuts that people don't even know their names, but you probably would be familiar with some of their work. Um, And those are the people that totally get forgotten in big stories like that when there's uh, cutbacks. If anything, I feel like Kevin Dunn should want these credits so that people just start blaming him for every single thing that's bad about these shows. Uh, Are you surprised at all that WWE did not strike any kind of deal because I would think like there would be some interest right now from other networks in, like seeing that uh, I'm not comparing this to the last dance, even though people will, but in terms of finding an audience, I'd have some faith in this one being able to with wrestling fans that if I was um, a Fox or an FS one that, you know, th- th- that they could have sold this to a, to a network. Um, Am I surprised? Maybe not. Not really surprised. Um, I, I, I definitely think that you know at this point, seeing the success of something like The Last Dance and really just, I would say, documentary is it, to me has has really stood out during this like pandemic as like programming that I think people are 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 uh, um, you know flocking towards. Um, I also feel like though a wrestling documentary is somewhat unprecedented. Um, I don't even know if the WWE themselves have that confidence that their original documentary programming is worth as much as their 
archived sports or you know live sports actual sports programming but following we've seen we saw though i mean the andre the giant documentary and the rick flair ones they did tremendously well it's true espn and hbo and also right now they're they've been airing 24 on replay several times right on fs1 on tuesdays on fs1 yeah and any idea how those are doing I mean, they are replays of like older content. They they've been doing anywhere, you know, in the you know, hundred and fifty to two seventy range, like not gigantic numbers. Well, um, well, something I'll say is that I think a big difference about this particular series is that they are putting the promotional power be- that they can behind it, huge, which is more than I can say for any of their twenty four or Chronicle or any of those other things that you probably even us, John, like we're, we're we like we probably we follow this shit closer than anybody out there. And oftentimes I don't know that any of this stuff even exists. Do you know that there's a Shayna Baszler uh, Chronicle that's on the network? I know it's on there, but I haven't seen it. Shit, I had like no idea. You know, it's like you see no promotion in the body of the TV at all. So this is certainly a different um, philosophy that they have with this particular Taker series. They put Taker on the on the media run last week. I mean, he was there. Uh, Variety, ESPN. Uh, he did a number of uh, interviews. Like very rare for him to be going out and and doing interviews. Um, I would have been really curious that. I, I threw this this poll out over the weekend about your idea about premiering this in the third hour of Raw. And if you were to take last last week, we saw the lowest hour ever with, you know, 1.5 million viewers would be like the lowest mark for an episode of Raw. And if this could have done 1.5 million viewers, I think if you had premiered this and you had the lead in of eight to 10 of Raw before launching this. I, f- I feel they would have hit 1.5. The problem is we we don't know the the what what these contracts with USA and and Fox indicate. You know if they've if seeing how Vince has so much like had seemingly so much panic about not delivering live in ring co- content, I I could definitely see them questioning uh, airing you know an hour long documentary for a full hour. So I, I I actually see it the other way where I could imagine USA you would be like. Right now, with this documentary craze, I think, and the fact that you know it's the networks making this suggestion about hey, coming up with ways to increase viewership, I think they'd be very open to it. I think WWE's t- tack would be, we're doing our three hours of Raw. If you want this documentary, you're paying excess for it, and we're not just giving it away as yeah. part of our Raw package. I mean, listen, as a fan myself, I'm certainly way more interested in this documentary than I would even say Money in the Bank last night. And, so. and I think that this documentary would have more of an intrigue from a lapsed viewer that is not paying attention to Raw at all, that would have an interest in it. Like, this is the character for WWE to do this style of documentary on. And there's, I think, a small number of those uh, people that WWE has that they could they could do this kind of story with that has that history, has that resonance with its audience. This is the guy to do it with. And it's been like, this is your payoff to a career of a guy that has been very closely guarded about that character. Just seems to me like they have a pretty rigid system of like documentaries being like their own thing, being distributed on their own thing. In the past, it was DVDs. This time now it's it's for the network. And that's where all this stuff, you know, has to permanently live. Um, But, you know, judging by the success of this one, certainly um, I would hope that they would reconsider it. So this 
begins filming in early 2017, and the story is that Undertaker called up Vince McMahon right before WrestleMania, which was the year he was facing Roman Reigns, and wanted to document this period because, you know, in his mind, this was the end. This was going to be it with Roman Reigns. And it seems like this came together real quick that he was willing, like this was mentally he was done with that WrestleMania. Yes, yes. This, of course, comes um, off of the Bray Wyatt one uh, two years after the, or three years, I guess, after the uh, streak. Because um, 30 would have yeah, been the streak, 31 would have been Wyatt, right? And then 32 was Shane in the Hell in a Cell. Oh, my God. I almost forgot about the Shane one. Oh, I try man. to forget about it. They barely touched on that one. No, they really skim through. <laughs> like, the focus is, like, it's so funny. He talks about, like... The WrestleMania match that uh, uh, the first one with Hunter, which I think was in Atlanta, he calls that one brutal, where he had to spend two days in a hotel afterwards and then get his hip repaired after that year's WrestleMania. He says the next two years were pretty good, that being the second Hunter match, which was an incredible match, Mm -hmm. and the Punk match in 2013, which was the match of the show that year, which Mm -hmm. I classify, yeah, they were pretty good. I I, th- I took that to mean more more about like him talking about his own body. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he has no memory of the Lesnar match, and it's a part that I think everyone by now knows he was concussed in the match. I did not realize to the extent of the problems he had. Uh, he has no memory since his last memory that day was around three thirty in the afternoon. Of course, this being a WWE production, they have footage of everything. Vince McMahon calling for help as he's Undertaker's just out of it backstage and he's taken to the emergency room and he just doesn't know what's going on. He can't remember where he is, what his name is. And like Michelle McCool, I think it was really compelling in this first episode as kind of the peek behind the curtain at this guy away from these giant WrestleMania crowds and kind of. Behind the whole veneer of The Undertaker is this 50-plus-year-old man who is just keeping his body together through modern medicine and surgery after surgery and gets to see this guy day-to-day just try and keep himself together and then peak himself for one night a year. Certainly, and I think that that goes into why this series might be, in in many ways, groundbreaking for... uh, no no pun intended the undertaker um because we're talking about a character and a guy who plays that character who's been incredibly protective about maintaining the illusion of this character not doing many interviews on prior dvds not attending hall of halls of fame uh and really just like i think you know like you saw in this documentary like taking every possible like um step to ensure that the illusion that he is still this character exists within the audience and this documentary basically you know exists to completely break that down not we're not saying that you know this person is still the undertaker we're saying that this person can barely play the undertaker anymore and how is he going to do it for one last time so um that i i would say is part of, probably part of the reason why there's so much interest in this and i'm sure what really was what got undertaker to this peace of mind to be able to do this kind of documentary it was those sit-down interviews with Pastor Ed Young. Absolutely. We have him to thank, don't we? But the, the, was this not done before? Like, was this were, were these interviews not done years before? Like, any idea? They had... St- 
I'm looking up this one. Uh, there's an interview with Ed Young and The Undertaker from September 2018. So that would have been after th- this had this whole production had started. Right. Okay. The main sit down. I guess. Do you have any idea when they might might have done that? Well, there there were several here, and um, I, I don't know when this particular one was done. But it looked like a more recent one. Like just seeing the shape he's in compared to 2017, um, and, and the, the hair is all you know shorter. So I would imagine this was more, um, I would guess, probably over the last year or something, they did the the sit-down that we saw in this episode. I guess we shall find out because this series, I mean, it starts off in 2017. Do you know, like, does it take us to modern day? It takes us to the Boneyard match, right? Oh, yeah. There's there's clips of the Boneyard match. So I imagine it's, I I hope that there was an, whether it was this interview we saw or something else that is done after the Boneyard match, because I think that's. The whole um, build of this is I want to go off on that high note and get people to reflect on this past year that represented a high note right, that he could have gone off with. So while the genesis of the idea was to capture his retirement match in 2017, it's obviously been extended. All the yeah, way it looked like this was just going to be follow me around for this final weekend of my career. And we're going to get this all on camera, my final weekend. like, And then it turns into... <laughs> The next three, three, more, three more years that he's he's coming back here. And it, it it is like this inability for this guy to be able to walk away, even when you did such a public goodbye, what WrestleMania 33 was. Um, but just going back, they also discussed like kind of the establishment of the streak, which to me is one of the greatest accidents in the company's history, something you never could have built towards or at least you know, thought that would even become a thing and really didn't become a thing. I, I would say no one even noticed it until that year in Toronto when he beats Ric Flair and you see him with like the pain of him trying to put up his 10 fingers to signal. And it looks like he's like trying to hold like grip two baseballs because his hands can't, the fingers can't extend properly. Yes. I remember that one. Yeah. That's where the streak begins for me. It's like, how that guy's hands must be a mess because he's trying to say 10 and it just looks like he's, you know, trying to hold on to a bar that's invisible. I thought he just had trouble counting. Um, he, he did too, like the, the fingers he was doing, uh, One, the count two, up three. that what comes yeah. after <laughs> maybe that should have been the setup for the tombstone every time <laughs> he counts to 10. Um, so I mean, for, to me, I always look at with the, with the streak of how the, the year that they could have just easily, vanquished it and it would have never been a thing was wrestlemania 9 which would have been his third wrestlemania Uh because that's the year he takes on giant gonzalez and they're going to come back and do a rematch at SummerSlam, and that was going to be like the idea was giant gonzalez debuts at the rumble he destroys taker they get through mania and then taker gets his big win at SummerSlam. and to me it's like if you're just looking at this the streak is not a thing and you're just building this up like if there was a time to establish your monster it's Giant Gonzalez beating him at that mania, but they opted to do that weird uh, chloroform deal where it ends up being Giant Gonzalez getting disqualified and not beating Undertaker. But so easily, to me, could have been, you know, just one person makes the argument. And it's like, well, we're going to SummerSlam with this. This is the time to beat Taker. And streak would have never been a thing. That would have been really tragic. Yeah, the, the streak ended at a two. Um, but it doesn't. So they, they continue it on. And, you know, he talks about the streak being what allowed him to be able to wrestle once per year, which became, you know, his thing. Like there was 
There was nobody upset that he wasn't wrestling a regular schedule. Like this is the guy was this guy was like in awful condition in the 90s. You were hearing about this guy like breaking down and such. It's it's remarkable that he's doing all of this. And that was the value of it. Like there were some years where he'd do more matches, but the once a year, that's that's all you needed with him. And, you know, it, it, yeah, it certainly does make you wonder without the streak, how long this guy's career would have lasted um i i really feel like without the streak there wouldn't have been the clamoring for him to return because like they said in the documentary the streak became so synonymous with every year's wrestlemania um as one of the most anticipated events of that particular year and particularly when he got into like the the excellent matches with sean um and even like edge before that even batista before that like which These... Michelle McCool um, noted in one of the interviews was they they wanted Edge to win the match and Edge argued against it. Like they wanted Edge to end the streak. Right, right. But um, like he became synonymous with, with WrestleMania so much so that I think it was certainly difficult, even if the guy wanted to leave, um, to, for him to stay away because I, I definitely feel like there was almost a, a need and a desire from the fan base to need to see an Undertaker match every single year. Yeah, he, he's definitely got the the wrestler mentality of having like that addiction to this. Like the of course, like you're listening to an addict. He's not talking about gambling, but it's like his inability to walk away. It's like there's always going to be that, that you will never, despite the attempts at backlash, you will never have the perfect match. And Undertaker <laughs> yeah. seems to be chasing this this white whale of a perfect match to leave off on. And it's somewhat been negotiated down to just leaving on a high note. But to me, it's, this is a guy that will never meet his own internal expectation. And there will always be that greater match to be had. Well, we don't know what he, what he thinks about the Boneyard match. So we don't know, like, you know, we, we, that'll probably come at the end of this, of this series. Right. I mean, we're already watching on TV, like they're building towards another match. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I don't expect that to be it. Like they're already teasing that. So and that's, that's, to me, this is one of the really real unique things about professional wrestling, where if we're talking about like, an, you know, any other sport, I mean, your performance would dictate whether or not you'd be able to come back for another season. Like if yeah. you're not scoring, if you're not performing at that level, you just don't even really have a choice. I mean, even when it comes to MMA, like, I, I guess you have a bit more leeway in MMA because you get to pick your opponent. But certainly, professional wrestling is completely different because you can tailor a match to your physical limitations. Um, there's, you know, there's no rule that says you have to retire at, at any certain age. And that's why I think it, it's especially hard for prof- professional wrestlers to, you know, decide for themselves when it's time to hang them up. And given, you know, what you can imagine his his downside is on his contract. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's an incredible amount of money to just oh, yeah. put your, put your personal um, expectation level in front of a business decision that no one's going to tell, you no. it's not like the WWE is going to say, no, we, we don't, we don't have a spot for you. That's yeah. not going to happen. We need you. And here's a truckload of money. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, the WrestleMania 30 match is really focused heavily upon the end of the streak, but it's much less about the streak ending and more so the concussion and as well kind of revealing that it really shook his confidence afterwards. It was, um, you know, it's it's a really, it's not a great match and understandable as well, but I mean, it does make you wonder, like he 
he had the he had the string of matches. I would say from the Batista match in 2007 through CM Punk, like he was, mm-hmm. you know, the, the show stealer every year. And you wonder was that was that was like the unofficial streak was just having like the match of the show. Mm-hmm. And you go into like that match with Lesnar. Like I think people had that expectation level. Like this is a huge match. Um, and yep. it's not like Taker came back the next year and ha- it's like the blow away matches ended with that Lesnar match as well. It was like both streaks ended. Yeah. 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 Um, it's, it had to end at some point and you definitely argue whether or not like 30 should have been the place where he actually just like hung him up, hung him up and didn't come back. But again, the demands of, of the promotion, the demands of I'm sure even himself personally required that he can't come back like exactly next year. I thought it was some really cool footage here of, of like, you know, Taker narrating, talking about how he, he had really shaken confidence and talking about how it was Hunter that was the first one to really identify backstage. And of course, this being WWE, they had the footage. Oh, dude, of Triple H it was pep, crazy. Pep talking, like delivering this exact pep talk that that Taker was referring to. It was, it was really unbelievable. Dude, I, I like... I, I scolded myself here because I'm watching this clip and I was like, okay, this is like Undertaker's describing a conversation and they have found another shot of Hunter speaking to him. But dude, they get the audio of right after Taker saying, he told me basically, remember who the fuck you are. And then we get the sound up of Hunter literally telling, like they got the scene on like if you're a producer putting this together and you get a soundbite like that from Undertaker and then you find the clip it's like the greatest connection ever and mm-hmm. this company dude if if you tell me in 50 years someone asks me tell me something about WWE I'm going to say the greatest thing about WWE was their ability to shoot everything so that would be the thing I will marvel about till the day I die it absolutely is that it's also the how impress, impressive the editors and the producers are in order to be able to find all this footage and a catalog oh. all this footage and to piece it all together in such a beautiful way. So, like, like what do really, they do? Like, what? Like, do they just type in "remember who the fuck you are" and they get like a <laughs> drop down menu of like just different guys telling people remember I, this? I, and it, it yeah, I I have no know. idea the like very intricate system they must have in in that place. And and again, like you know, talking about how during this whole like you know pandemic. How much like yeah, um, documentaries um, are, I, I would say, you know, kind of being spotlighted and uh, people are being uh, attracted to them. Like the WWE has this incredible documentary department that I think the public at large still doesn't really fully realize. Like to me, it rivals what NFL Films does. Um, certainly like any other major sports, I feel like WWE's documentary production rivals and the whole world doesn't really know about it. So it's something that I think hardcore fans have enjoyed for a long time, but it it's, you know, something that I'm sure would just as much in, in, impress any sort of a person watching in the mainstream. Oh, the, 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 this, this documentary, it's like, it's on the level of like your, I, I won't say the best 30 for thirties, but like in that, in that, that kind of uh, style, I would say, I, I've been watching a ton of these 30 for thirties because TSN is just filling up their schedule with them. So I've been watching so many of them. Um, and, and these would fit in seamlessly. Um, so we then go afterwards to WrestleMania 31, which is the Bray Wyatt match. And as I recall, Bray went into that match with some kind of an injury. He had like injured his foot, maybe even broken his foot. It was something notable. I remember that Bray had to work with in this one. And 
I mean, we were there for this one. This does not stand out to me as like a memorable match in the least. Mm-hmm. And I remember it just felt very cold for an Undertaker match at WrestleMania. It was kind of like, okay, they're bringing back Taker from Mania. Will this audience kind of just still embrace this guy in the same way post-streak? And it just, it just felt like it was... Why is this continuing? It just with the Undertaker without the streak, it was just like the air was out of the balloon. That's how I felt that night. And I think that there's been an element of that each year at WrestleMania that you've never been able to replicate what those years of the streak were able to garner. Yeah, yeah. It felt like a match that I mean, I guess people were probably grateful to have, but it felt like it was you took out the main story element attached to an Undertaker WrestleMania appearance and I mean, all those matches, you take out the streak, those near falls and the best moments of those matches really wouldn't be that meaningful. So you're taking the biggest device that The Undertaker really has in his arsenal. And that's, you know, those near falls attached to the streak and going in there with with a Bray Wyatt, who I think is a good performer, but not a performer at the level of, you know, some of his opponents that that had come before. Um, And it just it resulted in a in a in a match as, as much as I can really say. And to the WWE's defense, because it's always brought up about the the pros and cons of, of ending the streak in the way they did, you know, in hindsight, when you look at it, it's, mm-hmm. you know, it they, they didn't know at the time they were going to get years out of Taker. And I think that this documentary, it really shows you that Taker, like, this has been an indecisive guy when it's come to his career. There have been many examples, not just the WrestleMania 33 one, where it's been thought that this was his last year. And the thought is, well, let's, let's get the value out of this streak and transfer something to somebody because we don't know if this guy will be around next year. And I don't think they, I'm sure there's been many times they've assumed that this is it for undertaker. And then the the decision is altered. Yeah. I really don't blame Vince for making that call. I mean, certainly in hindsight, I, I think every fan would have, you know, knowing taker was going to go, go for so many more years. Every fan would have wanted it to to continue. But at the time, knowing that this was going to be his last match, I I really don't fault them for doing what they did. Um, Taker is happy with the WrestleMania match. He ends up doing a series of matches that year with Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam, at Hell in a Cell. Which were very good. Yes, yes, they were. Um, Those might you know, have been his like best singles matches, like his last great singles matches. Yes. Um, they really just, they don't really dedicate any time to the Shane McMahon match in 2016. And then we're on to 2017, um, did you, first all, McCool- did, did you find it interesting that they had Bray speak here as well? Yep. They had Bray out of character and mm-hmm. yeah, that, that, that was interesting that like this, this documentary seemed to be like the, all the rules are out the window. Like we're not, we're not sticking to anything that uh, this is not a normal WWE production. Like takers out of character, everyone's out of character and anyone that is wanted to, for interviews is going to be made available. Like, that's what this felt like. Including uh, appearances from J- Jim Ross and Chris Jericho, which they weren't afraid to use. Yeah, it just seemed like the, the regular rules d- did not apply here. Like, the Undertaker documentary gets every every advantage at our disposal. Um, it, it really felt like it was carte blanche for the producers here. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we skipped through that, and then it's the Royal Rumble 2017, and this is the, the one at the Alamo Dome, and that's where we really get the the doubt of uh, of Taker stating that he feels he has no business being here and he feels like he's taking somebody else's spot at WrestleMania. And it seemed like the the germ of that idea to 
end everything at WrestleMania, you know, coincided with, with this period several months earlier, maybe earlier than that. But it just seemed and physically you can see he also looks a mess here. He's had like the hip problems. Um, Michelle is saying like his hips, both of them, they always are hurting him. Like physically, it's just insane what this guy is is putting himself through. But this seems to be the real uh, light bulb moment that this is the time to exit. So you're talking about 31-3, right? Yes. Yeah. So this was the Royal Rumble uh, going oh, into WrestleMania 33. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yes, of course. Yeah. And then it's WrestleMania weekend, and they got some really cool um, scenes here because we're at the Hall of Fame, and it's Undertaker just kind of holding court with everybody. And we just got to like be just eavesdrop on all these interesting conversations of him like sitting down with Roman Reigns before their their mania match and just just chatting and he's just interacting with everyone and you just it's one thing to hear all these guys on camera talk about the the reverence they have for this guy and what he means in the locker room it's quite another to just let the camera roll and see how all these people are with him in a one-on-one situation absolutely and you know Taker was mic'd this entire time but having incredibly genuine reactions from this entire modern locker room who, you know, just like respects the hell out of this guy. And not just even the modern locker room, like all the people from the past that greet him, everybody giving him, you know, a great deal of reverence. The part I really enjoyed, though, was seeing Taker meet somebody he respects in Bruno San Martino. And he yep. kind of playing the role of like, you know, the student showing the the senior respect. Uh, that part I, I found really intriguing. But, you know, just seeing like Roman Reigns here introduce Taker to his wife, something that, you know, a very, like a very normal human interaction. That to me is like part of the appeal of this documentary because somebody like the Undertaker has been so guarded with his personal life in the past. I thought it was a real great scene with, with Reigns where Reigns is just mm-hmm. having a beer with them and they're just, um, you know, it was just a cool scene to, to watch and you can really see that Undertaker sees a, a lot in this guy. Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, into the match, uh, the day of, uh, we have we have a we have a funny scene with him and Jericho just chatting, and Jericho asks him, "Are you on last?" I think so. <laughs> this you, is like is hours that, before the match. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Huh? And, we'll and see. J- and Jericho remarking at the length of that WrestleMania ramp that year, eighty yards. Yeah, I love that ramp, and like it, the, to me, like that's uh, that was my, the best Mania set. That was my favorite Mania set. Yeah, it's it's among my favorite, if not my favorite, especially getting to see that set live and to be able to see like underneath it, um, where you know, of course, Taker drops all the way down, and to be able to see inside it, that to me was really cool. What 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 are the other ones that come to mind? Seventeen, seventeen, I love like that g- big giant video screen. Um, eighteen, you know, eighteen, the one at Skydome, I thought sucked. It I, just I felt like so it was too. just it was just steel. It just looked like I was in like some weird, like nothing to it. It felt like the Sky Dome, which is mm-hmm. not a compliment. It felt unfinished. But anyway, we digress. That's a different yeah, conversation. we digress. Um, you know, and then kind of the ending here as we get into the match, it really does come through like this, like the Undertaker just, he holds Vince McMahon at such a level. Mm-hmm. He says his, his, He's a his soldier. rule. Exactly. He, he, Vince McMahon is the guy that he has, completely mortgaged his body for and is more than willing to do that over again. He he states his goals are not to embarrass himself, the business or Vince McMahon. Like he just sees this man as responsible for, for his entire livelihood. And man, we get a scene. I'm 
I'm almost surprised they showed this of him like getting shot up with like cortisone or something before the shot. Like this was pretty intense here where we're seeing like what goes into this guy just being able to get to the ring for the match. Yes. Yes. Um, and he's hobbling all over the place. Like his, it, yeah, like, you, you see scenes like that and you see this guy backstage barely being able to walk. And then they cut the footage of the guy of the match that this guy did attempt to have with Roman Reigns, you know, taking that spear through a table. Um, really like any sort of bump, I think you see this guy take, it feels that much more impactful and certainly it gives a different context to watching that match. Cause just watching that match cold without knowing any sort of, the, of this backstory. I mean, you're really just kind of left with, I would say a pretty unimpressive performance and you know, he, the way that it's the way wrestling is presented, you're not really supposed to know any of this backstage stuff, but to know it, it, it kind of, it definitely puts it in a di- different light. Yeah, uh, to me, all of this stuff here, it was just so un-WWE where it's always just putting the... Oh, you protect just, your just, stars. Exactly. It's like you would never see any of the like the, 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 the darker stuff or just anything unflattering, especially, uh, like immensely so for The Undertaker. And here we have this guy just showing in his least flattering um, physicality and then, you know, the points of the match where we... You know, you get the tombstone reversal spot that's just it's just awful to to watch like this. Mm-hmm. You've built up like you've it's not just watching this match in a vacuum and you're seeing, you know, a spot messed up. You're we've been watching this documentary for 45 minutes and we have this guy talking about how much pressure he has on himself, which is undoubtable. Um, and just how much he has on this match and to watch it falling apart. Uh, is so much more impactful than it would be uh, under under other circumstances. Like I thought, the editing of this final match was really really good. Yeah, like typically when we watch a WWE documentary with a recap of the match, they shy away from all the botches. This documentary, the botch was really the story, and we see Taker's reaction to him watching the match back in the next episode. Mm-hmm. Um, this also has Jim Ross on the call because this was that was like the big surprise of the match. Well, it wasn't so much a surprise. We knew he was back, but then getting the introduction just you know weeks after his wife had passed away mm. and Jim Ross coming out, you know he got just an enormous uh, reaction uh, coming out for this match. And then we just you know he loses. They had a million shots of people just crying in the crowd as he left his his hat and his jacket there and. His family is there in the front row and he makes his way to the back as they're playing this piano version of his theme. And you're watching this and be like, this would be the way to just sign it off. But uh, we know what is to come. This is episode one. This is not episode five. And there he gets to the back and there is Hunter Yoda himself to greet him. And yeah, that's how uh, that's how this ends with um a scene with the Undertaker and Vince McMahon together in the Undertaker's trailer where they hug and huge Mark- red welts on Taker's back. Oh, he's Insane. a mess after this from the chair shots. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, Mark Calloway. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, like, anytime we see t- like Vince greet his performers after a big match, to me, those are always really interesting scenes because you always, I mean, you're, you know, all, every single performer who heads back into Gorilla immediately looks at Vince and sees whether or not, you know, I dad approved and Taker was no different. Taker here at the end was like, did you enjoy it or something to that effect? Like that, that is the first thing on his mind was Vince happy with my performance. 
and, and that is a to me an uh, an under discussed element of WWE is this you know some will say maniacal leader but someone that this this roster they are pretty much with few exception I think obsessed with this man's approval like that I is know. what it is and it is and it is not something that I would say is is going to be existent in every wrestling company and that to me is is something to to note here is like that is another part of like this you know whatever succession plan the WWE has like they have this this leader that these people have largely they have grown up that this is the man that represents wrestling to them that even this guy the undertaker it's like he is desperate for this man's approval um even at this stage uh, of his career and that is that will extend right down to the lowest person on the roster as well that they are they are out for this person's approval and when they don't get it you see what how detrimental that is when we saw that Kevin Owens special yes uh, at the another, same wrestlemania absolutely another thing we forgot to mention uh wrestlemania 30 when Taker got concussed Shell McCool talks about how there was a truck following the ambulance right away, and the person who showed up in the midst of WrestleMania was Vince McMahon and Brock Lesnar. Yes, as WrestleMania is still going on. Mm-hmm. That, that I did not know about that, and I, I mean, I think that shows a great deal of dedication. I, I knew about Vince. I was not aware of Brock as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's how it ends, and you know, Mark Calloway also sharing a story that he's always told Vince that if he cannot perform the job anymore to tell him like he he has always said this for years that fear of being a parody of himself that line is used several times in this but that is a line i've heard from him in the past as well that is something certainly that rings true to him that he has a concern about and that's how the episode ends and then we get a preview of the next episode where he sits down and watches this match now i'm really looking forward to i mean just like the ability to see a performer critique his own work that to me is always very fascinating so uh i think we get into like you know the more interesting stuff following this this particular episode yeah i was i was waiting for maybe they could pass him an ipad to watch the uh the tombstone sequence oh uh like the last dance technique yes yes well that documentary has taken over the uh the the ipad is going to be synonymous with the last dance I mean, take her. I don't know if I don't know if the last ride will find a, a similar analogy. I mean, this was apparently I think on Taker's big screen TV, so they did one better. <laughs> yeah, so I, I thought a real, real fantastic episode. I think if you're going into this and you had high hopes, I think that this was a really solid start to the series, and it's you know it's it's the character that I think everyone eventually wanted to see something like this on, and it seems like they, uh, they. With a WWE production, you always go into it seeing, like, what are they going to manipulate or change? And I think in this one, they, they showed you a lot more than maybe you would have thought on, on paper they, they would go. Did you feel like there was any sort of, um, if, if in your opinion, like, um, I don't know, misrepresentations or dishonesty? Um, n- Not so much. I think that it was, like, it was sh- certainly, like... um. A really revealing look at the Undertaker, more so than than I expected. Um, I knew they'd go to a certain length. I guess it'll get interesting as well in in upcoming episodes, like how how deep they go, and ultimately, like that that's a question for the producers. Like, was that was there a line that this is we are not going to go this far? And it almost seems crazy when you see this is the most protected character, and yet they're going to further lengths um, 
than you would other subjects uh, in the company. Like this, this does not have that feeling of that that WWE glossy production that so many others do. Right, right. Yeah, no, a good first chapter. I believe there are what five episodes. Yeah, there's five that they're going to be rolling out each Sunday. How are they going to drag this out? Because how many, how many more? Like he's only got two more WrestleMania appearances after this. Or uh, um, eighteen, nineteen. Yeah, he's got Cena, and then you have he he never does. He doesn't do the next year, right? Yeah, I believe he was off the next year. He or he did the next year. He basically has two more left, and he skipped one of them. He's got the Cena. Well, there's also like the in between stuff as well. And will they get into Saudi Arabia? Yeah, I I'm guess so. Oh, the, the, they show the Goldberg thing. That'll True. absolutely be be something. Um, right. You, you've got to uh, you've got to cover him uh, going to do Starcast, <laughs> and then not going to do Starcast. <laughs> that should. I hope that gets twenty minutes. Yeah, yeah, not sure, not sure about that. Um, but okay, yeah. So I guess he's got Saudi matches to to go through and and whatnot. Yeah, cool. Yeah, we can we can get the the other side of the coin. We can get one of the Saudi Arabia matches where Sean can talk about coming back for one match too many. No, no, the match that does not exist anymore. All right, that's gonna wrap up the show. This was fun. Was this the greatest rewind to Raw of all time? Um, possibly. Yes, yes. It was. It was without it was? question. Okay. All right, we're gonna be back on Tuesday night to review uh, what was not one of the best Monday Nitros of all time. Uh, but maybe you will think differently. Kitchener, Ontario, September 18th, 2000. I, I will say this Nitro is only like an hour and a half in content time. So I'm I'm extremely grateful for that. Oh, okay. Well, we are going to go uh, segment by segment on this edition of Nitro. So for all patrons, you will be getting that one on Tuesday evening. And then we'll be back Wednesday night with Rewind to Dynamite. So that is it. Good night. <laughs>